Welcome, boys and girls, to Volume 3 of Octoberama 2021. This is week of, well, our patrons picked this week. Right, Taylor? Right. Yes, they did. Yeah. Well, one of them. One, one, one lucky patron picked the theme for this week, but we'll get into that. Uh, I'm Skeletoni. I'm Taylor of Terror. And uh, yeah, this is week three of Octoberama. Uh, if... For some reason, you picked this episode to start listening to the show. Uh, every month in October, um, we or every October, not every month in October. That's there's only that's a weird it's, way to it's say just, it. It's just the one month. And it's just the one month of October. Uh, every week in October, we do a special episode that focuses uh, two movie reviews on a theme of the week. Um, our mainstays are Week of the Vampire. Week of the Zombie, um, and we always do we do a special week that we have our grave diggers over on Patreon pick, um, and then we round out the month uh, with a Halloween bonanza. Bonanza, huh? Mm-hmm. That's what it is now. You, well, you didn't like Spooktacular, so no, nobody likes Spooktacular. <laughs> Spooptacular. Spoop. Um, anyway, so yeah, so this is week three, and this is week of the Patreon, or week of the patron, week, week of the Grave Digger, which uh, this year will also be known as week of the mummy. Yes. I'm not going to do mummy sound, because I don't really know. They don't really make noises. This is, like, if they make a noise, it's pretty similar to zombie. So pretty much, just... yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this year's theme was picked by... Kevin Trent. Kevin Trent. So, uh, congratulations, Kevin, on picking our favorite for the year. Um, yeah. So, later on, we're going to be talking about uh, Bubba Hotep and the Pyramid. So, uh, look forward to that. Um, yeah. How's it going, Taylor? Pretty good. Yeah. What's new with you? Uh, not too much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Last night, I went to this uh, pop-up for this... Uh, they don't want. They don't want to call it tiki. A tropical cocktail bar. Is it because tiki is appropriation or yeah. something? But they. Uh, it's all horror themed drinks. It's a pop up. Yes, <laughs> they, they're calling it a pop up. They call it Nightmare on Main Street, but it's like it. That's what the bar is all the time. So it's basically just they have these special edition drinks. Oh. Okay, yeah, because I mean, it's. Can we? Can we? Are you uh, avoiding saying the name or? Just, oh no, it's Navy Strength. Yeah, Navy Strength in. Uh, I guess it's Denny's Denny Square somewhere. Belltown. Or, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Belltown. Um, yeah, I've, I've been there once. It's it's a cool little bar. I, the, the 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 tropical drinks aren't really my my forte, but um, it's a fun atmosphere. 
But yeah, I, calling it a pop up is weird because they're they're always there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you sent me the menu. There's only like one or two that looked like it might be of interest to me. Just because, again, a lot of them are like rum or gin-based, and I, I hate both of those liquors. So, Yeah, I, I, I enjoy tropical drinks or whatever you want to call them. Um, and I'm, I enjoy rum. I don't, I don't like gin, but I'm with you on that. But yeah. I'm a, a big rum drinker. Yeah, you are. Uh, cool. Um, I'm a rum it's like, it's like a wino, but with rum. Yeah, I got it. Because <laughs> I explained it to you. <laughs> yep. Um, it's like gummo, but nothing like that. Yeah, nothing <laughs> like that. That movie is a train wreck. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if I talked about this last episode. Because I think we... No. Yeah, this must have been the weekend after. I think maybe I talked about going, but we went down to St. Helens, Oregon, which is where they shot a lot of the movie Halloween Town, the Disney Channel movie. Um, and every year, yeah, this town, it's, it's, it's a tiny little town, and their their town square is, is very small. But every year they do this spirit of Halloween Town where they, um, you know, have this big thing. You know, they have a bunch of like food and vendors uh and um they dress up the town square like they they put like the big pumpkin that they have in the movie um they put it there in the town square and they dress up the it's actually i think in the movie it's a city hall but in in actuality it's like a um like their old courthouse i don't think it's an operational courthouse anymore i think it's just like an office building but Anyway, uh, yeah, it was uh, much smaller than I was anticipating, but it was fun. It was a fun little thing to do with his family. Um, I mean, the kid's too young to really appreciate anything like that, but... Sure. Um, uh, and my, my sister and brother-in-law, they were, <laughs> they were on their uh, anniversary kind of vacation, but they were nearby, so they came and met us, so... It's just a neat little day. Cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Halloween's fast approaching. Yeah, just about uh, about about this time next week, I'll be on my way to California Adventure. That's right. Uh, I'll probably I'll probably be in Trader Sam's drinking tropical cocktails around this time next week. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> I'll be uh, hanging out at home, just jerking it, just <laughs> jer- <laughs> just breathing and jerking just breathing off, and jerking off. <laughs> uh, uh, probably just you know, working like a dog, like a dog, <laughs> and uh, and feeding a baby, because with your boob, with my boob, because <laughs> that's what I do nowadays. Uh, yeah, yeah. I would, like, it sucks because you know. The kid's great. You know, he's, he's a light of my life, yada, yada, yada. But, like, I can't do anything. Like, <laughs> I can't go on vacation. I mean, you know, vac- going on vacation is a little iffy anyway. Um, you know, just the idea of being on a plane right now is a little, eh. Yeah. But, you know, we you almost always go on our vacation in October, and we didn't go last year. We're not going this year. 
We're not having our Halloween party that we have every year. And now, yeah, it's just it's falling apart. <laughs> anyway. But have fun, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> Don't worry, I will. <laughs> so you're you're going to Disneyland and not Scary Farm or I'm not doing Not Scary Farm. I'm going to Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> Why? Because Knott's Scary Farm is only on Thursdays through Sundays, and I'm going Sunday through Thursday. Is it really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, sucks for you. It does, yeah. Do anything else? or I'm going to a Sounders game, uh, and I'm going to a Clippers game. Neat. Yeah. Who are the Clippers playing? The Cavs. Fun should be a doo doo game, but tickets are dirt cheap. So. Yeah, it's the Clippers. So. Clippers are actually good. Like they're good now. Yeah. Oh, well, but, how about that? I mean, they're not as good as the Lakers, but sure. They got Lakers. Got to come in and class up the joint a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> cool. Well, I'll just yeah, vacation vicariously through you. I guess I'll send you some photos. Don't do that. I could do. I could send you first person videos so you could pretend you're there, <laughs> and I'll be like, "I wonder what's to my left." <laughs> oh, bushes. Okay. Mm. <laughs> what about on my right? <laughs> Just well, if you stand really close to the TV, like you project it on your TV and stand really close, it'd almost be like a VR headset. <laughs> Uh, um, what was I going to say? Yeah. So, you know, you, you get Facebook memories usually every day, but you know, because we always take our vacations in October, October, I always get just this slew of vacation yeah. memories. Oh, I so, remember that time. Yeah. Remember that time when life was fun. <laughs> ah, those were the days. Anyway. So, um, yeah. Anything else you want to chat about? I don't think so. Okay. Well, um, yeah. I guess before we get into things proper, I uh, do want to thank our patrons, the lovely folks that brought us this episode today. Uh, we call them Grave Diggers over on Patreon. They help finance this silly little show that we run. Uh, we don't have an expensive show, but it does cost money, and we don't have much of it. So we rely on other people to uh, take pity on us and give us their hard-earned dollars. Um, those wonderful people are Jordan Morrison, Kevin Trent, Carlos Rodella, Gory B. Movie, Max Zaleski, Aaron Meyer, Bob Voorhees, and Kevin Nesgoda. Thank you so much, everyone, from the bottom of our hearts for helping keep this show above water. Uh, Taylor, if anybody else wants to join the party, where can they go? They can go to patreon.com slash graveplotpodcast. For as little as $1, you can get exclusive perks, including joining us live on Discord every single episode, getting your thoughts and input possibly on the show if we decide to read them. Uh, and then there's you know other stuff. You get discounts to the Graveplot uh, merchandise store. Uh, $5, get your name in the show, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I do you have an update? On the uh, the unicorn. Oh, yeah? I got a hold of Matt. Um, he asked me, he was like, do you want like a super drunk, ugly unicorn sitting in a lazy boy? <laughs> or like 
a crunked out one with chains and a grill. <laughs> and I was like, no, just like a really chubby unicorn. And he was like, all right, just so you know, I charge extra for ass shaving. <laughs> so you got to shave your own ass? I guess. Or you should just pay him to shave your ass. I probably will just pay him, yeah. <laughs> just, just to make sure that he knows who's who. Also... I want to throw Carlos under the bus here because I rewatched the scene from 2001 Maniacs that inspired this whole fiasco. And it's a, it's a fat Pegasus. Oh. Honestly, it's been so long I forgot where that all came from. Yeah, it was in 2001 Maniacs when Emile Hirsch was making out with the girl and he like pulls her shorts down and she's got this fat Pegasus that covers like her entire ass cheek, which mine is not going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like... Like, so obviously just like Sharpie. <laughs> uh, you know, it's going to be funny. Like, it, it'll be funny that you have it, but it's like, it's not something I can just see. Yeah. And, and you know, be like, ha you have that on your butt. Because <laughs> I'm just not going to look at your butt all the time. Unless I make you. <laughs> Don't make me look at your butt. <laughs> Don't break my butt. <laughs> You're breaking my butt. <clears throat> um uh yeah so uh, i do want to mention also the grave plot film fest uh coming up in february tickets go on sale on halloween day everybody that's right little uh, little treat for you tricks <laughs> <laughs> you trick assholes <laughs> uh twelve dollar gets you in the door uh well it gets you a ticket the ticket gets you in the door yeah you you won't get a ticket it's not it's, it's your, your name, you on, your a name on a list yeah <laughs> So it's I guess it's your name on a list that gets you in the door. The money gets your name on that list. Right. On said list. That's how that works. <laughs> that's that's way less like fun to say though. It's also way more convoluted. Yeah. It's 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 fun to say your your uh $12 gets you in the door. That's, that's the I mean in thing. a roundabout way, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, also exciting news. We do have our first, uh, big sponsor, uh, Growlers. Growlers Seattle, uh, located in the heart of Columbia city, right down the street from Arc Lodge cinemas, right down the street. Street. Is that a thing? I think it used to be. Ah, street, 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 street. Yep. I know, uh, like, like Nelly used to say that a lot. Street. I know there's guys that say skirt. I don't know if that's the same thing. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Uh, yeah, Growlers. They um, uh, are a tap room slash dog daycare slash dog park. Yep. So that's a, I mean, that, that's a combo. Like I've heard of like um, bars where you can bring your dog, but the fact that it's like a dog, like a proper dog park and also a dog daycare, all inclusive. It's not something I've heard of before, but um, yeah. Growlers are serving the, the finest craft beers and wine and hard seltzers. The, the, the best ones well, of money basic can buy. Bitches. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's... Don't, don't quote me on that. I don't know if it's the best money can buy. It may just be like, you know, these are our vendors and these... Maybe this, like this Kirkland is... brand hard <laughs> seltzer. <laughs> Kirkland um, brand honeydew flavored hard seltzer. <laughs> <laughs> they have two flavors, honeydew and lime. It's actually hint of lime. Hint of lime. <laughs> Barely tastes like anything. Yeah, like th- these seltzers. They're like everybody's got a fucking seltzer now. Uh, there was I mean, a, there was an SNL bit 
uh, last week. And the guy's like, oh, I'm going to drink some hard seltzers. And it was Costco brand or something like that. And the guy's like, Costco has a hard seltzer? He's like, yeah, man, everybody's got a hard seltzer. And then the other guy walks in. He's like, hey, I brought hard seltzers. And they say, like, Jiffy Lube. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, who else has a hard seltzer? Does my desk have a hard seltzer? And they're like, I don't know. Look. And he opens the drawer and there's a hard seltzer. It just says desk. <laughs> But yeah, seriously, every, I mean, everybody be having hard seltzers nowadays. It's all started with White Claw. Like, and, but seltzer, it's, it's just carbonated water and they put like a drop of flavoring in it. And then they, then somebody was just like, Hey, what if we boost this up? Yeah. And, I don't, like, and now those people have yachts. <laughs> yeah. I, I, How I, stupid, dumb, big, their rooms got rooms. <laughs> I uh I never got the the seltzer thing the the Lacroix. I just I don't. I, we drank them for a while just to kind of stop drinking soda. Yeah. You know, I just I don't I, I've never liked like club soda, mm. and the fact that there's almost no flavor in Lacroix and it basically just tastes like, uh, like if club soda was thinking about a fruit or something. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what it tastes like. Um. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah. So growlers, we're excited to have them on board. Um, go check them out. Uh, we'll we'll throw their growlersseattle.com. That's growlers with a Z. Yes. All right. That it. That it. All right. Let's do some more business. All right, speaking of alcohol, uh, <laughs> man, this is going to have a very uh, niche audience, uh, just entirely constructed of suckers. Uh, <laughs> this is so weird. And like, yeah, like why? Yeah. Um, so uh, Herondon Vodka, which is a company that exists, um, have announced their new line of Paranormal Reserve Vodka. Now, you know, this is just vodka. It's just regular old vodka that is uh, distilled in the in this, the normal way, uh, except that it is rested. Or is it just actually distilled, or is it just rested? I don't know. It's aged. I never really thought of vodka as being aged. Me neither. Um, but yeah, yeah. The, the term they're using is rested. So I don't, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a distiller. Uh, but they have, like I said, na- announced their paranormal reserve line, uh, which is rested, uh, in haunted locations. Um, this is a limited edition, uh, line, uh, The press release says the Paranormal Reserve includes only 60 limited edition bottles rested for seven days in three of America's most haunted houses. The Basilica Axe Murder House, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, and the Farm on Round Top Road, which is the house that we talked about two episodes ago. That's currently for sale. Yeah. Yeah for some astronomical price, but it is the farmhouse that inspired the conjuring. 
the Basilica Axe Murder House, which we actually Isn't did. Velisca. Oh, you're right, Velisca. Sorry, I was transposing letters. Uh, Iowa's uh, Velisca Axe Murder House, which we actually we talked about a movie that was based around those. Yeah. Long time ago. I think it was just called the Velisca Axe Murderers or something like that. I honestly don't remember now. It, I know it had... Uh, it had Velisca in the title, and I think it had Axe in the title. All I know it has... All I know is that it had Sean Whalen in it. <laughs> it yeah, Velisca Axe Murders. Or the Axe Murders of Velisca. There you go. Um... Yeah, it was the site of a horrifying 1912 murder said to be haunted by the spirits of the victims who are yearning for justice and is visited by hundreds of curious tourists each year. Imagine going to Iowa to see a haunted house. I would say, I'm at, like, I would go for some other reason, but I can't think of another reason to go to Iowa. No, like, it's like, oh, cool. You know, when you go on corn, vac- yeah, <laughs> when you go on vacation. Even if it's for a specific thing, you want to go somewhere where there are other things you can do. Yeah. And yeah, Iowa, it's like, okay, let's go see the Velisca uh, Axe Murder House. All right. Um, let's go home. Yeah, lunch? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. The bottles for this house were placed in the attic. Uh, I skipped way ahead. Uh, for the Trans-Allegheny... Lunatic Asylum uh, was declared as one of the most haunted locations in America by National Geographic, so you know the authority on the matter. Sure. <laughs> uh, but what does Dildo Baggins have to say about it? That's what I want to know. Uh, he's like, oh, something scratched my back <laughs> and I can't breathe. That's what he said. He said that, yeah. He wakes up in the morning and says that. It's like, oh, my house is so haunted. Like, I must have attracted these ghosts back. To my house. They followed me. No, I didn't. Idiot. <laughs> he did. He's co-hosting the uh, Halloween baking challenge. I know. That's why I haven't watched it this yeah. season. Uh, Kristen. And they put his name in the fucking title even. Yeah. I'm sure that was probably in his contract. I'm sure. Because he's a nutsack. Um, but yeah, we always watch it every year. Um, and... Kristen knows how much I fucking hate that guy. And she's like, oh, the Halloween baking challenge is on, but I can't watch it. And I I'd totally forgotten he was on it. I'm like, why? He's like, because it has Zach Baggins on it. I'm like, oh, yeah, fuck that guy. So <laughs> like, you could watch it. I'll go somewhere else. Um, Anyway, so, yes, the Trans-Allegheny uh, Lunatic Asylum uh, once housed 2,400 patients. Today it's said to be the sh- to have shadowy figures roaming the halls, which countless visitors to the property hope to see for themselves. Here the bottles will will, will what? Here the bottles were placed in the lobotomy room, where as many nine hundred people were tragically lobotomized in the nineteen fifties. So there you go. Uh, third, the farm on Roundtop Road uh, was purchased in two thousand nineteen by Corey and Jennifer Heinzen. Which I said, like I said, we talked about a couple episodes ago. Um, they're currently trying to sell it because it's probably not quite the money maker that they were hoping for in 2019. Uh, I'm sure that they were welcoming this to to turn a little bit of a profit. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, it's been the site of intense paranormal activity and once housed the infamous Annabelle doll, which also appears in The Conjuring. Uh, these bottles... Wait. There wasn't an actual Annabelle doll, was there? Yeah, that was the, it was Annabelle was a spinoff of The Conjuring. But I thought Annabelle itself was based on another on a on a different doll. I think it's loosely based on Robert. Yeah. But there's no actual Annabelle doll. I think there is. Hmm. In one of them. What do you mean? One of the conjurings? No, I'm not talking about in the movies. I'm talking about in real oh. life. Oh. Yeah, no. Yeah, so it didn't actually house an Annabelle doll. Unless I'm completely mi- forgetting something. Like I said, yeah, Annabelle, I'm pretty sure it was based on Robert, which is like a Raggedy Ann, or Raggedy Andy doll, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think there was a actual real-life Annabelle doll that I know of. Yeah, I could be wrong. Not that I care, one way or the other. <laughs> um, uh, the bottles here were arrested uh, in the most of... In the most paranormal sites in the house, including the seance room, basement, and upstairs bedroom. I, I don't understand. What was the point of this? Uh, to make them spooky. Well, it's like, are they supposed to like get in like still? Is this like uh, aging whiskey in an oak barrel or something? It, like it gets, it gets a little bit of that conjuring flavor in it or something? It gets... Spirits. Ah, uh, nailed it. Got him. <laughs> but uh, this is just I feel like is, is the bottle haunted now? Like, <laughs> yeah. What the fuck is this supposed to do? Like, this is unless there's like unless they're aging it in some kind of like special cask or they're adding some kind of like special flavoring in it. This isn't going to do anything. This is purely. Uh, for, uh, like just gimmickry. Gim- yeah, yeah. It's a, a fucking gimmick. Um, these things are packaged in an engraved wooden box. Uh, they'll and they're come with a hand numbered leather tag, indicating which house it was rested in. Uh, additional accessories include gloves to handle the bottle with care as well as information on the history of the house, the, its paranormal activity, and details on where exactly each bottle is placed. So it's not even being aged in, like, a barrel. They're just putting the bottles in a house for a, a week or whatever. Yeah. It's like, I could put something in my attic. It doesn't make it special. Yeah. It's like, I've got, like, there was an old fucking suitcase in my attic from the from the previous owners. Like, is that haunted? Is it special now? Can it's, probably, I, it's probably so full of ghosts. Can I sell it for, like, $300? It's a shitty old uh, suitcase, but, uh, you know, maybe. You should just tell people that it's like D.B. Cooper's or something. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, okay. So bottles of this 88-proof vodka will be available to purchase in select New York City liquor stores who will offer the national sh- who are who will offer national shipping. Starting October 13, 2021. So if they're still available, you can buy them now. The price tag, you might ask, $140 per bottle. This is regular vodka, people. <laughs> the most expensive part of this vodka is probably the packaging. Probably that leather tag. That's probably 
Yeah. The most expensive part. Man. Or, the, or that wooden crate. This is fucking stupid. Like, I can't believe this. This is like people that buy like pieces of wood. They think that it's like part of the original cross or something. It's just poppycock. I mean, that's even more outrageous. Well, no, I would say that's like more reputable. Like this is like, like we said, it was literally just a bottle that sat in a house for a while. Yeah. Oh, it's sold out. Of course it is. Because people are suckers. If you bought a bottle of this, you should feel bad about yourself. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. I hope it tastes terrible. Huh? I hope it tastes terrible. Yeah. Probably tastes like death and buttholes. Yeah. Dead buttholes. <laughs> it's probably just like Kirkland vodka they poured into fancy bottles. The thing that gets me is gloves to handle the bottle. Yeah, what? It's like, what's so fucking special about the bottle? Are these ghost-proof glo- gloves? Like, yes. the ghosts can't... You can't get possessed if you have these gloves on. Yes. They're probably just, like, cotton gloves they bought in bulk. They're probably just, like, the rubber gloves, like, e- examination gloves. Or, like, those flat vinyl ones you get, like, when you work in food service that are, like, too big for everyone's hands. <laughs> except for, like, your middle finger or something, which is, like, too fat for it. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Like, I have very little respect for anybody that bought this. I mean, props to the company who made it, this uh, Herodin Vodka. You know, yeah. Way to way to uh, make suckers out of your customers, but Jesus Christ. <sighs> okay. Let's move on. So Mike Flanagan continues to be killing it. Flanagan Ding Dong, as that's, he likes to be called. That's what, what his friends call him. Uh, his nickname is somehow longer than his actual name. <laughs> uh, but his next project is going to be based on the works of Edgar Allan Poe. It's going to be called The Fall of the House of Usher. Uh, it's actually going to be based on multiple works from Poe. Not just The Fall of the House of Usher, I guess. Which is a singular Poe work. Yep. Uh, it's going to be a series on Netflix, of course, because Flanagan and Netflix are tied at the hip at this point. Yeah. Like, I feel like Netflix, like, Flanagan, Netflix just gave them a blank check and they were like, whatever, man. Yeah. Go. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're like, I don't know. It's, it's like Netflix owns his soul at this point or something. <laughs> uh, eight episodes have been ordered so far. Flanagan and Michael. Fimo, Fim, Fimognari? Yep. Uh, we'll each direct four episodes. Flanagan spoke to the Boo Crew podcast, and he said, A lot of the stuff I do is a slow burn. The fall of the House of Usher is a brush fire. It's an explosion. It's as aggressive and rock and roll and over the top and just violent and insane and horrific as anything I've ever done by a lot. We're going to pull all the all-stars from the intrepid group of actors and some great new faces, and we're just going to fucking jam. Going to jam and jam until you can't jam anymore. <laughs> you want to get jammed? You want to get jammed up? <laughs> I'm sure leading the cast is probably his wife. Yeah, probably. Yeah, she's in fucking everything. And I'm sure... Um, uh, 
uh, oh god, what's her name from Spin City? <laughs> from Spin City. Yeah, that was in Gerald's game. Carla Gugino? Yeah. She'll probably be in it. Oh, I didn't know she was in Spin City. Oh, yeah, she played Michael J. Fox's girlfriend in like the later seasons. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I I don't I didn't really watch Spin City. I couldn't get into it. Oh, you're missing out. I mean, I was it's like Bill Lawrence, man. Yeah, I mean, well, he was a writer. He wasn't like that. No, wasn't like a showrunner, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, no. I. I but I then when when Fox left, that's and they were like, "How about Charlie Sheen?" And people went, "Oh no, what? No." Yeah, that, I think. And they were like, "Okay, we'll bring on Heather Locklear too." And people were like, "Just stop." Yeah, like my dad watched it, and so just the the dynamic of my family is like, whatever dad's watching, that's what we're watching tonight. Um, so. Yeah, my dad would watch Spin City, and I'd just sit there and watch it. And it's like, all right, well, it's it's on, so I might as well watch it. But it just never really appealed to me. And then even like once Charlie Sheen came on, yeah, I think even my dad lost interest. So it's like everybody knows that one dude from Ferris Bueller, and I'm like, no, he's from Spin City. Charlie Sheen. Ch- Charlie Sheen was in Ferris Bueller. Yeah, man. Oh yeah, he was the criminal guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I can't. I can't remember the character's name. Uh, his his friend, Cameron Fry. Cameron. Yeah, I, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember the act. Alan Ruck. Yes. Yeah. He was on Spin City. Yeah. And yeah. Barry Boswick Bass- was the mayor. Who's Barry Boswick? <laughs> remember, remember that commercial? Yeah. Remember? Yeah. Um. Final Land of Ding Dong also said. We just want buckets of blood pouring out of the ceiling on page two. Fucking A. And we're just going to go ballistic. We're going to do it all to the music of one of the most intensely effective gothic horror writers. This is what we've been craving. A chance to just go ballistic on something. The entire catalog of Poe is wide open. It's all public domain. We can cherry pick whatever we want and put it into one giant, crazy, heavy metal riff that's just blood-soaked and wild. In a sense, we get to blow off steam after five very emotional years. And it lets me play in the corner of the genre I haven't gotten to play in in a long time. It's a relief, really. It's fun to have fun. All right, man. I mean, he's using a lot of music references, and I'm I'm totally into it. He sounds super drunk. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, there's going to be blood and guts and blood and tits. It's fucking sweet, man. <laughs> it's like, man, you're using a bunch of words I don't understand, but fucking hey, I'm along for the ride. <laughs> Yeah, um, he sounds very excited about it. Yeah, he does. And I don't know if there's actually going to be music in it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of talk <laughs> about heavy metal and music and, and rock and roll. And He was like, we're going to do it to the music of one of the most intensely effective gothic horror writers. And I was like, wait, Poe? Poe didn't make music. Not that I know of. But you guys don't know Edgar Allan Poe's band, uh, Nevermore? <laughs> Edgar and the Poe Heads. Um, no, Big Ed and the Poes. No, Poe Heads is better. Poets. <laughs> That's That was their fans were called Poe Heads. Right. <laughs> um, did you watch Midnight Mass? No, I keep meaning to, and I keep not. We started it, and like honestly, did we talk about it on the show? I don't think so. Okay, because yeah, this one totally slipped by me, and it was my wife that actually turned it on and as soon as i saw uh um kate siegel yeah yeah i'm like oh this must be mike flanagan 
And then I saw like a bunch of other people who were in other Mike Flanagan stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is definitely him. But yeah, we started it and um, it's like we never finished it. Um, I don't know if Kristen just lost interest or what, but we never went back to it. And it's just like, yeah, apparently it's very good, but I just can't find the motivation to go back to it. Hmm. Well, if you need more blood and guts and tits and Edgar Allan Poe, music, heavy metal, <laughs> then boy, do I have something for you. I'm riding on a fucking Pegasus, playing a fucking giant electric guitar. Riding on a Pegasus that's riding on a motorcycle <laughs> that's on fire. Playing the sweetest fucking heavy metal riff you've ever heard. On a fucking BC Rich Warlock. <laughs> so like... Rock and roll poison. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck. Uh, Start shooting in January, and and the landing is just going to be like more blood, more rock and roll. (laughs) Yep. People are going to be like, Mike is fucking out of his mind. (laughs) (laughs) There's going to be one scene where it's going to be like the. the band in Idiocracy, or it's just like like a thousand people just playing this one riff on the electric <laughs> guitar. <laughs> and then blood just pours out of the ceiling, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> apparently that happens on page two. <laughs> Fun. Indeed. All right, so we've talked a few times about the new uh, um, Hellraiser sh- uh, movie show. H- yeah, it's a Hulu show, or is it a movie? Fuck, I've lost track. No, I, th- I think it's a sh- movie. Okay. Are we sure? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, fucking A. Anyway, well, it's one of those things. It's either a movie or a TV show, because we are quality reporters. <laughs> um, film. Film. New Hellraiser film coming exclusively to Hulu. Um, is uh, just It's in pre-production right now. Uh, casting is underway. It's being run by, uh, you know, it's the showrunner, or sorry, mo- uh, director, David Bruckner, um, who we have a convoluted history with not personally just with the movies he makes yeah um he did the ritual which we liked yeah but he also did like vhs which is not good oh no <laughs> did you i told you i watched vhs 94 yeah you said it was very bad it's not good at all like there's like one thing that's kind of okay and the rest of it's just a big old poopy cocky oh no <laughs> um anyway so uh yeah Pre-production's underway. Uh, you know, people are hard at work. Uh, the biggest news to come forward recently is that they have cast their new Pinhead. Now, this is going to come as a shock to people who have not heard about this already, but they have cast a an actress, actress, 
as Pinhead. Uh, Sense8 actress Jamie Clayton has been cast in the role. Clayton? Back up, Clayton. (laughs) Die, fake friends. (laughs) Or replacement friends. Replacement friends, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so, yeah, Jamie Clayton from Sense8 has been cast uh, as Pinhead slash the Hell Priest. Makes me wonder, you know, they want to stay true to Clive Barker's original Hellbound Heart novel. The novella. Or novella. Um, It makes me wonder if they're going to abandon the Pinhead name and just go Hell Priest, because that was his name in the film, or in in the novella. Pinhead was actually a name that just popped up, I think, from like the special effects department. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I knew it wasn't his official name, but I didn't know where it came from. I didn't know if it was actually an official thing when the first movie came out, or if it was like something that kind of stuck over time. I think it's kind of like uh, the whole like um, you know zombie thing, where you know Romero, what he he referred to them as ghouls. We don't say the Z word. Yeah, and they just kind of eventually evolved. Little green into ghouls. Being... <laughs> they eventually evolved. <laughs> That's at three episodes now. <laughs> um, and they eventually evolved into being zombies to a point where even he was just calling them zombies. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing with Clive Barker. That he's just... He, yeah, Pinhead, fuck it. Yeah, <laughs> he refers to him as Pinhead, but like even though that's not what he wanted to call him. Anyway, so yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Jamie Clayton being cast. Um, I know I've seen her in a couple things. I never watched Sense8. And I know I've seen her in a couple other things, but I cannot think of what they were. Um, but anyway, uh, so I just, like the whole thing about casting a, a female as she was in the Neon Demon. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, that was one thing I saw her in. So she's in Hellraiser nineteen eighty seven. I don't think that's right. Mm, probably not. Because there weren't a lot of people in Hellraiser in 1987, or the, the original Hellraiser. It was a pretty, pretty small cast. Yeah, I think Google was just like, yeah, she's in Hellraiser. That's whatever. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so the thing about Jamie is that she is actually a trans actress. Um. And uh, I know there are a lot of people that are upset about a female being cast as uh, Pinhead, whereas in the in the novella, Pinhead or you know the Hell Priest was referred to as being kind of like androgynous, um, which I don't. I feel like this is happening more and more often, where it's like, oh, it's an androgynous character, so cast a female. But but how's that androgynous? You're just making him f- female. Yeah, shouldn't you cast like a non-binary? I would figure, but you know, if you're going to cast somebody who's somebody, if you're going to cast a role that is supposed to be androgynous, you should cast an androgynous person. Jamie Clayton reads very clearly as female. Yeah. Um, yeah. Her first acting credit was in 2011. So Google needs to figure shit out. Fucking figure it out. That's what I say. I say figure it out. Um, and like Gwendolyn Christie, like she's cast as Lucifer in the Sandman show. On Netflix, and like, it's this is the same character that Tom Ellis just finished playing. Weird, yeah, it's like same from the same universe 
in, in comics. Uh, and to their credit, Gwendolyn Christie looks more in line with Lucifer from the comics because he's a, he's a tall, blonde, you know, very handsome, kind of pretty man. Um, so in that effect, that she is tall and blonde, yeah, she looks more like Lucifer. But I never really picked up Lucifer as being androgynous. And also, I don't consider Gwendolyn Christie to be androgynous. So... I don't know. That's that's like the argument being used, and I don't, I don't get it. Anyway, but so yeah, um, Clive Barker is also on board as producer. Uh, Bruckner saying it's been such an honor to have Clive on board to help support and shepherd us through this incredible, incredible universe he created so long ago. Uh, combined with a fearless and committed uh, committed cast, including the amazing Jamie Clayton, who fully embodies the role as Hell Priest. We're aiming to create a very special new chapter in the Hellraiser legacy. So he does refer to the character as Hellpriest there. Right. Yeah, so I... Basically, all the news sources... Well, horror news, I should... Well, entertainment, too, I guess. Yeah. Not just horror, but they're all referring to the character as Pinhead because that's how he's been referred to for 30-plus years now. Right. Um, It's like if... Miller or Cunningham, whichever one owns Jason, made a new Jason movie, not a Friday the Thirteenth movie, but a Jason movie. And everyone said Jason Voorhees. And who who owns Jason? Is it Cunningham or Miller? So basically, everything you saw in the first movie, yeah, Miller owns it. Okay, so he owns Jason Voorhees. Yes. So if he owns Jason Voorhees, so if Sean Cunningham made a new Jason movie, just Jason. Mm-hmm. Everyone was like Jason Voorhees. It's like he would just be like. I mean, you know, you, yeah, Jason, you, yeah, you, you said it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, he's he, not going to correct anybody. No, but, he, but he, he'll be like, uh, yeah, Jason. Yeah. He could make the exact same movie or he, he could make a J- Jason movie with the exact same character, hockey mask, machete, all that. He can call him Jason, but he cannot call him Jason Voorhees. Mm-hmm. He cannot refer to Crystal Lake. He cannot reference anything that would have been established or implied in the first movie. Um, and yeah, so basically everything from Friday the 13th onwards, Cunningham, as far as I understand it, should have free reign. Right. He just can't call it Crystal Lake. But like we were saying before, like it's it's so ingrained in the zeitgeist now that you can get away with just saying Jason. You could say the camp or the lake, mm-hmm. and everyone knows what you're talking about. Exactly. It's like so, so Miller kind of just... <laughs> Made a big huff about nothing. Yeah, like what did you really win? <laughs> well, I mean, sure he's. I'm sure he's probably going to try and market a, a, a remake of some sort. Yeah, yeah, probably. But you know, people are so fucking harsh on remakes that it's probably going to going to crash and burn, and then like the the whole series is going to stumble and fall again. Yeah. Just because these fucking Hollywood people can't get out of their own way. Anyway, so uh, producer David S. Goyer, Goyer, Goy, uh, from the moment I first, or he says, from the moment I first read The Hellbound Heart, Clive Barker became one of my favorite, or sorry, I don't know where I got favorite. Clive Barker became one of my literary heroes. His work is transgressive and completely redefined the horror genre. Under the guiding hand of David Bruckner, we're going back to the source and taking our inspiration from that original novella. 
Uh, Clive Barker said, having seen some of the designs from David Bruckner's new Hellraiser film, they pay homage to what to what the first film created, but then take it to places it's never been before. This is a Hellraiser on the scale that I simply didn't expect. Uh, David and his team are s- steeped in the story's mythology, but what excites me is their desire to honor the original even as they revolutionize it for a new generation. All right, so places it's never been before. Vegas? <laughs> I was going to say space, but they I know, that. that's what my first thought, too. <laughs> yeah, you got to go to Vegas. I mean, everybody goes to Vegas at one point. Yeah, Leprechaun went to Vegas. Yeah. Manhattan? Yeah. Help stakes Manhattan. All right. Um, where there's just barrels of toxic ooze in the streets. <laughs> you know, when I, I can't remember at what point or what iteration of them rebooting the Hellraiser franchise we talked about this, but I mentioned that, you know, the whole concept of a Leviathan and Hell um, has not been very explored in the entire franchise. It's always been something that takes place on Earth or like kind of in between dimensions or, or, or whatever. Hellbound Heart. Sorry, not Hellbound. Um, Hellbound, Hellraiser Two. Uh, it, it delved quite a bit into it. Like the like the last third of the movie, I'd say, spends a good amount of time in hell. But I'd, I'd like to see what hell truly is, you know. And maybe in this kind of re envisioning of of the whole series, uh, see what that. Um, what that all means and, and what how they envision it. Um, pretty sure it's just like a DMV. Hmm? Pretty sure hell is just a DMV, just constantly waiting in line. Yeah, at least that's what it was in Beetlejuice. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I know you saw that same uh, same thing that Ronnie had referenced. Yeah, what a fucking joke. The headline was literally Beetlejuice is bad. Actually, yeah, and this author goes on to say. I use the term author loosely. Goes on to say, like, oh, well, I never liked Beetlejuice, but here's why you shouldn't either. Go fuck yourself. And for those of you wondering, the reasons are too many white people and uh, Otho being the only LGBTQ representation and that Beetlejuice is is actually a scumbag. And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah. I mean, Beetlejuice is the villain in the movie. Right. Yeah. You're not supposed to, like, sympathize with him yeah uh that was their their biggest argument was that beetlejuice is actually a bad guy if you if you think about it i'm like you don't really need to think about it like they're they're like he tried to marry a 15 year old i'm like yeah he's a fucking scumbag like yeah we all know this and like you know when people write these articles they make they make it out like every movie is supposed to be some fucking uh political commentary or social commentary and it's like no sometimes movies are just movies yeah it's like, you don't have to look into the fucking social context of every goddamn thing. Also, you leave Glenn Shaddix the fuck out of this. R.I.P. <laughs> Is he dead? Yeah, he's been dead. Really? I yeah. Know that. Or Bob from, from uh, Demolition Man. Yeah, he died in 2010. Did he? He did? Dumb did he do? <laughs> oh, he also played Raymond in the uh, Raymond and Peter short. Oh, I never, I never saw that. So, oh, 
It's great. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure they just took like the actual dialogue and just acted it out. Sure. If you don't know Raymond and Peter, oh my God, are you in for a treat? <laughs> Go Google shut up, little man. <laughs> and just listen to the shit out of all of it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So principal photography uh, has wrapped on production. So, yeah. I think the term principal photography is something that people overlook. That's like all the main story. Like, basically, you consider like camera A. That's principal photography. Yeah. Now they have to go back and they have to do pickups um, and, you know, any any B-roll they have to do. Um, that's what additional or is it secondary i think it's additional photography additional okay so yeah that's what they all they have to do uh usually they have like um a b a b crew doing that in conjunction with with principal but sometimes if you have a limited crew which they might in covid that's true yeah um anyway so the reimagining of hellraiser will debut exclusively in the u.s on hulu Sorry, Canadians. And Brits, like Clive Barker. (laughs) (laughs) Womp womp. The Walking Dead. In more womp womp news... (laughs) The Walking Dead. Fear the Walking Dead. What is it? Brave New World or something? Some asinine shit like that, yeah. Uh, is, is that it right now? <laughs> Just those three? I think so. Well, don't worry. Because there's more coming. A oh new God. Walking Dead anthology series called Tales of the Walking Dead. Uh, is slated to debut on AMC and AMC Plus in summer of 2022. Uh, The first season will be six episodes. Each one-hour episode is set within the world of The Walking Dead and will feature both new and existing characters. Why? Why why can't they just have the same show? I I don't know. (laughs) It's like new and existing characters. Why don't you just put the new characters on the existing show? <laughs> it's like, oh, people aren't watching The Walking Dead anymore. We should spin it off. It's like, no, you should just stop. <laughs> like the concept, like I think the only original. Remember when The Walking Dead was like, can't miss TV? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like first two, three seasons. Well, not season two so much. Season two. Sorry, yeah. Season two. You had to come back from season two. Yeah. Well, yeah, people watch season two because they're like, it's got to get better. It's got to get better. First season. Yeah, they're like, did you see season one? Yeah, like, it's going to get better, I'm sure. <laughs> Just stick with it. It's going to get better. But that was a... The season finale of season two was pretty, pretty yeah. tight. It's like, oh. And now we have to wait a fucking year for the next series. Yeah. Or next season. Um, Turned to British all of a sudden. Uh, apparently. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just, I think I haven't watched it in years at this point, like not a single episode. Um, so I'm not really all that sure what's going on, Yeah, but I'm pretty sure the only original character still left on the show is Daryl. 
And that's because they paid Norman Reedus an obscene amount of money to stay on the show. Pretty much until he's dead. All right, well, like keep, he, as an actor, is dead. Keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, Scott Gimple, who's the, the man behind all this, says this series, more than any other in the Walking Dead universe, which apparently is a term we're using now, runs on new voices, perspectives, and ideas, bringing to life stories unlike any we've told before. It's, it's a, a fucking zombie, zombie show. Apocalypse. We've all seen all these sh- stories before. Yeah, remember when they were like, oh, Fear of the Walking Dead, it's going to be a new perspective. I'm pretty sure Fear of the Walking Dead, they're currently like just in the woods. It looks like something we'd film in my fucking backyard or something. Just in the woods talking and making like dramatic looks at each other. <laughs> and then sometimes a zombie pops up. Uh, Gimple continues, I'm thrilled to be Channing's consigliere. Helping in every way. I don't know who Channing is. Me Help, helping in every way I can to make those new visions real for the best fans in TV. I started as a fan of The Walking Dead and have ended up as a showrunner of what will hopefully be one of its most unique spinoffs. I'm so grateful to AMC and Scott. Who's Scott? Isn't he Scott? Gimple. I thought this was Gimple saying this. Oh, uh, I've lost track. I don't care. Maybe it's Scott Channing. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to stop reading this because I don't care. Uh, this, this will be the fourth official The Walking Dead series following in the wake of the main show, Fear the Walking Dead, and The Walking Dead World Beyond. That's what it is. Mm, neat. Um, and of course, if you're thinking, well, four is not enough. I need more. Uh, there is a fifth show in the works centered around Daryl and Carol. Like you said, Daryl's still on the main show. I thought Carol was dead or that she had left the show or something. I mean, she might be. I don't know. This, it could be like an earlier, like a prequel. Maybe it's going to be like, because they had like a time jump. It's like a five year time jump or something like that. Maybe they're just going to randomly start time traveling like in Lost. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, it worked for them. <laughs> Did it? We made a stupid nonsensical show and people thought it was genius. So I like season one and then like, like literally the beginning of season two, like the first episode, they're like, yeah, we time travel now. And I'm like, nope, I'm out. Oh man. I liked when you guys were just on the Island. Yeah. People that were that stuck with that show till the bitter end. Like, like I watched all of it, but so like, you know, whatever day of the week it was on the next morning, I'd be sitting at work, listening to this group of fucking idiots in my, that I worked with. Uh, just like, Oh well, yo, so and so, you know, did this and this and this. I'm like, that sounds so stupid. And like, what does what do you think it means? It's like it means nothing. Like, I don't I, have to watch the show. I re- I really felt like Abrams just was making it up as he went along. Oh, he absolutely was. <sighs> speaking of, speaking, of, I mean, this is completely off subject, but Abrams he's working with Bruce Tim, who was the guy that did uh, Batman the animated animated series. They're doing a new Batman animated series, but it's like, like it's it's a like a prequel almost. All right, that should be neat. Did you watch the trailer for the Batman? Yes, not so bad. The trailer is just like here's a lot of explosions. It's like Mike Flanagan when. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. You know, the, the problem with trailers is they give a lot away, and people constantly complain about that. Yeah. But then, you know, you have a trailer like that, and it's like, I feel like there's going to be more people that complain about it. It's like, oh, you didn't show me enough. I just felt like I don't know what the story is. It was just like, here's Batman punching some guy. Here's an explosion. Here's a Batmobile. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't want to get too far in this, but the the director, Matt Reeves, he talked, like, I think he wrote it too. And he's talking about, like, how the inspiration between or before that movie was very much from the story Year Zero, 
or sorry, year one. Sorry, yeah, year one. The Jack Black Michael Sarah movie where they play cavemen. Yeah, that one. Sure. Yeah. Um, makes makes sense. <laughs> um, which was like a, a a mini series that ran several years ago. Basically, like literally the first year where Bruce Wayne was Batman, where he had no idea what he was doing. He was basically just a thug that went out like beating people up. He would have, they didn't have like sophisticated gadgets and stuff like that. So that's what this movie is primarily inspired by. So from from what I saw, I definitely get that impression that he's just out beating people up. Which I appreciate. Yeah, no, that's cool. I'm just saying that like the the trailer itself told me nothing. It, it really, the bones tell me nothing. It really did not show much. Which which is fine. I'm sure there're gonna be plenty more trailers go along the way. Yeah. If you're looking for a trailer for the I already forgot what this shit was called. Tales of the Walking Dead. Uh tough shit. What does that even mean? Is it gonna be like a story of the week? Yes, it's an anthology. Oh, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> That's how much I don't fucking care about <laughs> The Walking Dead anymore. Which is so funny because you and I were both so fucking hype on that show when it came That's out. That's what I'm saying. It was must-see TV. Yeah. Hash, trademark NBC. <laughs> I feel like for the first... I almost said hashtag. <laughs> I feel like our first like 10, maybe 15 episodes, we had a Walking Dead story every single time. Like Every single time we talked about it, it's like, oh man, Walking Dead's doing this now. Yeah. And now it's just like, who fucking There was cares? no like single moment. Like, a lot of people were like, Glenn died, I'm out. Yeah. No, that wasn't, there was no singular moment for me. I just kind of petered out and stopped caring. Because, I mean, I've said it on this show so many times that it turned into Rick Grimes' motivational speaker. Yeah. And it's like, you know, once I got to Alexandria, I know that's part of the story. I know that happens. Once I got to Alexandria, that just, like, I don't care anymore. Like, this is dumb. Yeah. They're just hanging out in houses bitching at each other just waiting for negan and his troops to show yeah. up and then like when negan was coming it's like all right now it's gonna get good again and it's just like oh this kind of sucks yeah that, that's when it was just like here's an episode of rick rallying the troops here's an episode of negan rallying the troops here's an episode of rick rallying the troops i'm like okay so when are they gonna fight yeah and like here's he kept hyping up the great war is coming the great war is coming i'm like okay can i come now because i'm tired <laughs> of listening to them talk yeah and it's like constantly just like clips of negan like like turned away from people and like looking over his shoulder and like looking smug. That's just like his his thing, always doing it. Yeah. Like probably maybe using like the same clip every single time. <laughs> so I have to pay Jeffrey Dean Morgan less. Does does anybody I don't know anybody who still watches The Walking Dead. I don't think I do either. If you're listening to this and you still watch The Walking Dead, let us know and let us know why. Explain yourself. Yeah. Tweet us. All right. So coming up in about a month-ish. Yeah. Uh, we've got a brand new Ghostbusters movie. A proper Ghostbusters movie. Proper sequel. Um, the one that is in line with the original series and not some stupid money grab reboot. This is not the Ghostbusters 3 that Dan Aykroyd originally wrote where they went to hell. I kind of want to see that just because it would be such a fucking train wreck. 
And it's like, but I also really want to see the one that the guys from the office allegedly wrote. Oh, with like the the next generation. Well, I mean, that, I don't. I still don't know if that was like a real script or like a fan script. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't matter anymore. But it <laughs> sounded good. <laughs> but I think both of us are pretty uh, pretty hype on uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, looks like hype it, is a strong word. Okay. Well, we're uh, cautiously lo- look- optimistic. Looking forward to. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, and that, like I said, that's coming in about a month. Uh, Jason Reitman, who's uh, the son of original director Ivan Reitman and director of this new film, uh, was talking to the Hollywood Reporter at New York Comic Con. He's saying that Afterlife was meant to reinvigorate the franchise, and by that he me- means that he wants he he is quoted as saying, uh, "We wanted to make a movie that opened the universe to all kinds of stories." Which this is what. I mean, I don't know if this is his exact idea, but this is what we were saying when the remake came out. Is instead of doing a remake, do different franchises. Yeah. Do Ghostbusters Miami and <laughs> Ghostbusters Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and have Ghostbusters, you know, LA, Ghostbusters New York. Well, I guess oh, it, was, it was New York. Um, <laughs> Idiot. Ghostbusters Chicago, Ghostbusters Phoenix. Ghostbusters New Orleans. Oh, oh. Dude, all over the place. <laughs> so many ghosts. Yeah, like Ghostbusters New Orleans would be like, we need to uh, expand yeah. because there's so many fucking ghosts. Put that ad on uh, Indeed. Put it in Craigslist. <laughs> we need more people. They could have a scene where like uh, Annie Potts like answers the phone and then she's like, we got, and then the phone rings again. <laughs> like, oh, hang on. I mean, we just need we need to do like a like an online submission thing because this is not working. <laughs> anyway, so Ghostbusters Afterlife meant to reinvigorate the franchise. Uh, by that, he said we wanted to open up the universe to all kinds of stories. He said I want to see Ghostbuster movies from all my favorite directors, and I hope this movie sets the table for them. Um. So yeah, like basically, what we're saying is you know it's it's. We don't know where the story exactly goes. We don't know what kind of... Uh, we know the general premise, but we don't know where, what direction it goes, where it ends, and how it leaves that story open. But apparently, he sets it up in a way that allows that to, to occur and uh, create more films in a Ghostbusters, like, larger franchise... Uh, or if you will, universe. If you will, um, and uh, yeah, and basically just create a Ghostbusters world where there's just yeah, Ghostbusters all over the place. Yeah, international Ghostbusters London, fucking a Ghostbusters Zimbabwe. <laughs> Why not? Cross promotion Ghostbusters Wakanda. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they probably got ghosts there. Yeah, they do. Like every like Black Panther, he goes into that spirit world with all the past Panthers just sitting in that tree. Do so you need to? Do you need to bust those ghosts? Oh, they're just hanging out. Like, well, they're, you know, they're, they're they're wild cats. They might get a little froggy. <laughs> that was one thing. Like in Ghostbusters, is they're like busting all these ghosts, and I'm like, what did those guys? What did those ghosts really do, though? <laughs> well, I mean, busting makes them feel good. So. <laughs> Like, what did Slimer really do? Eating all their fucking food. 
Well, yeah, he's John. He's the ghost of John Belushi. <laughs> uh, well, like, I guess it was that snooty, uh, the hotel, the hotel manager. Yeah, they just they're just doing their job. That's we're just here to work. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. <laughs> they came, they saw, they kicked his ass. That old thing. Uh, anyway, so yeah, Afterlife, the premise is uh, when a single mom and her two kids arrive in a small town, they begin to discover their connection to the original Ghostbusters and the secret legacy their grandfather left behind. Anybody who's seen a single commercial knows that their grandfather is Egon uh, Spengler. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's, yeah, I mean, obviously. R.I.P. Harold Ramis. Yeah, Harold Ramis uh, left us several years ago. Um but the other three Ghostbusters are they're alive and well, for the most part, I assume, uh, and they are all confirmed to be in this new movie, as well as uh, Sigourney Weaver and Annie Potts. Correct, but no Rick Moranis, no Louis Tully. No, he uh, he will not come out of retirement, which which is fine. He shouldn't have to. He's he said I'm I'm done acting. He, you know why he retired, right? Because that guy punched him in the face. <laughs> Remember that? Remember that guy punched Rick Moranis yeah, in the face? Up. And then they they found the guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Fuck him. They should have just like f- let a bunch of Ghostbusters fans flog him <laughs> with proton packs. Just put him in stocks and let him throw rotten fruit at them <laughs> in the middle of town square. Yep. <laughs> they still do that, <laughs> right? It's New York. All kinds of three crazy <laughs> things goes on. Go on. No, uh, Rick Moranis. He retired because his, his wife, wife died, right? Yeah, yeah. And he needed to raise his sons. Fair. It's like, all right, yeah, you do you, man. But he did come out of retirement briefly to do a, a mid-mobile <laughs> commercial. But didn't he come out of retirement for the Country Bear Jamboree or something? Say what? Or he came out of retirement for something for, I don't know, one of the bear movies, Country Bears. I don't know what you're talking about. You're making this up. You, he's making this up. Uh, he is repri- reprising his role of Wayne Zelinsky for New Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie. Is he? Yeah. It's called Trunk. Well, be goddamned. Brother Bear. That's the one. He Was came out of time for Brother retired? Bear. Uh, I, I don't think so. I swear I, I like read that he came out of retirement for that. Doesn't matter. He was on an episode of the Goldbergs as Dark Helmet <laughs> in 2018. Man, I I never watched the Goldbergs, um, but I really appreciate what they do because it takes place in the 90s or the 80s. 80s. Uh, it might be in the 90s by now. I don't know. Uh, and they've got they they bring in so many icons from that era to be on the show to, yeah. to play themselves. Yeah, like they had Robert England playing Freddie on there. And they, uh, they're, I think on this current season, they're having Elvira. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Anyway. So, uh, yeah. Um, bu- 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 yeah. The, all, all those old timers, they're all playing their original roles, unlike in the remake, reboot, whatever the fuck it was, Travesty. Um, they and, had them in it, but not as their original roles. Stupid. Uh yeah, and uh, release date is November 19th of this year. Uh, you can hear our review for it on, I believe it's December 1st is the episode date. I don't know. Somewhere in there. Somewhere around there. <clears throat> so look forward to that. Spoiler alert. 
We're doing the whole damn trilogy. Oh, yeah. So, for whatever reason, uh, Universal let Tommy Blum get his hands on a bunch of their monster properties. Oh, no. Um, we know Blumhouse already put out The Invisible Man, which did uh, very well critically. I think you said it was okay. It's fine. I still haven't seen it. It's, I mean, you, you probably don't have to. I, I'm not really, like, hounding for it. Yeah. Uh, it's... Sounds like up next is going to be the Wolfman, which has actually been uh, in the works for a while. They got Ryan Gosling to sign on as the titular Wolfman. Uh, Lee 1L is supposed to direct. He directed The Invisible Man. Um, but we haven't really heard anything for about a year. But Jason Blum, uh, Tommy, Tommy, Blum. Tommy Blum's brother, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, spoke to Collider said we are working on the script get got to get the script right working on trying to get a script that gosling feels good about and comfortable about and excited about so it sounds like gosling's kind of uh being a, a problem a, a prima donna a, a pill i mean other p words penis well it's like you know prick. <laughs> he's he's in a he's in a point in his career where like a bad movie could sink him yeah. Because he's not like that young heartthrob anymore. He's true. He's got to be in his forties if he's, or he's got to be pushing forty if he's not already in his forties. Yeah. Um. And yeah, like a, a bad movie could just put him in the ground, especially he after the backlash 40. from La La Land. He is forty. Wait, there was pushback for La La Land. Uh, that really started that whole Oscar so white thing. Oh. Because La La Land. Is white as fuck. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I mean, I, I I can understand him wanting to be choosy, but yeah, there's a difference between being choosy and and you know cautious and being difficult. Where where he what he's actually doing, if anything, I don't know. But like I said, I, I think he's got good cause to be um, selective. Especially with uh, with Blumhouse at the helm. Especially with Blumhouse. Fuck. Um, I mean, you know, we've we've expressed our feelings on Blumhouse plenty of times, but talking about a Blumhouse movie next week. Oh yeah, that's right. We are. Um, I, I, I kind of feel like Blumhouse is starting to get to a point where they're not just pushing out Drek constantly. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I think they've gotten to a point where they have. Um, a reputation for making movies on the cheap, and that's attracting bigger projects. Yes. So, if that's what they're they going for, it worked. So, good for them. Yeah, and I mean, you know, for the shit that we've talked about Blumhouse, when they do actually, you know, put some money and some effort behind a project, like both of Jordan Peele's movies, or, you know, the Halloween movies that we're going to talk, like, we'll talk about the new one next week. You know, they, they put out good stuff and Blumhouse seems to do well at just kind of being like, okay, this is your movie. Here's a check. We're going away. 
Yeah. Whereas, you know, other studios are like, well, what if we put a Pepsi can here and then we can get a million dollars from Pepsi? And then, <laughs> oh, you can't say pussy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's rated R. I know, but that's my wife doesn't like that. So, you know, <laughs> other producers kind of, they dig their fingers in. That's... Whereas <laughs> it feels like Blumhouse does a pretty good job of just being hands off. Last night we were... <laughs> Last night we were watching TV and this commercial came on and I, I can't remember what it was for now, but it was talking about, I think it was maybe like, um, like something about birth control. It was that one that, um, fuck from Shit's Creek. I can't remember her name. Oh, uh, uh Alexis. Yes. Yeah. Welcome to my vagina. Yeah. That, I, th- I think it may have been that commercial <laughs> at one point. I was like, it's for your PC. <laughs> Why would you say it like that? <laughs> Kristen's like, I fucking heard it. She's like, I really hate that you said it like that. I'm like, moist pussy. <laughs> pussy. That's terrible. You're a terrible person. <laughs> she got so upset. I don't even have one and I'm upset. <laughs> you pussy. Um, uh. But yeah, like you said, credit where credit's due. I no longer... Like when it's like Blumhouse presents, I'm no longer just like, oh no, yeah. Um, it's like, well, this could go either way, and you know, yeah. If it took them just putting out garbage for however many years to get to this point, then okay, sure, more power to them. Like sometimes fa- you got to eat shit, fake it till you make it, yeah. And that's what they did, and they're like, well, we'll put out this like teeny bopper Hollywood shit, and once we get enough money, then we can actually start making good movies, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever get to a point where I will assume that a Blumhouse movie is good, though. No, no, no. Because they they did me dirty for so long. <laughs> yeah, I've been burned before. <laughs> um, Blum also says we have two or three we're developing. Talking about Universal Monster Projects, uh, he said they're not yet announced, so I can't talk about them. But the status with Universal Monsters is no different than it's ever been. Universal is in charge of the Universal Monsters. Go figure. But we've come up with a few ideas that they've like for a few. Like, I assume it's supposed to be liked yeah. uh, for a few of their other ones, and hopefully we'll turn those into movies. Okay, it's interesting that he's like, we've got a few ideas, and I'm like, like, like making the monster movie, like, like the it's it's been made, like we, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I know everything's got to have a new twist, and <laughs> cell phones, and everything, because uh, it's modern day. Yeah, <laughs> uh, cell phones. That's how you know it's you know the, the, the now. It's now. It's the pr- it's present day. It's, it's not. The, it's not like the eighties because they have cell phones. Right. So that's how you know. Yep. In the eighties, only rich people had cell phones, and they were gigantic. Yeah. Zach Morris phones. Right. And like when you when something's in the future, you know it's in the future because they have big screens that float in the middle of the air. Yep. That's how you know. Um, I'm still waiting on like one of those uh, Tony Stark phones or like a piece of glass. Or like the Grizzle phones from Parks and Rec. Grizzle phones. It's when they went to the future of 2017 and they had the phones that were, yeah, it was just like a little plate and then like it would like project a thing. Oh, right. Yeah. Last last episode, right? Or last like last season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when she's running for some Congress or something. Something, yeah. Anyway. Um... Yeah, Grizzle yeah. is basically just Google. Got it. <laughs> they don't do a very good job of making that not known. 
Uh, yeah, like I said, the Invisible Man was it was fine. I, I wasn't like you know people like you said it was very critically acclaimed. Um, you know, horror fans uh, and you know people that I think uh, there's there's two levels of horror fans. There are people who are critical of horror and people who just watch Blumhouse movies and are like fuck yeah. <laughs> and I think both groups appreciated. The Invisible Man uh, is an in- interesting, interesting take. Um, how they modernized the story, I guess. I mean, first you had cell phones, so you knew it was now. Sure, not in like the 1910s or 20s or whatever. No, H.G. Wells wrote that, so it'd be like late 18. Doesn't matter. Um, and uh, yeah, the whole premise of him being invisible was based around science rather than like some chemical reaction that turned him invisible you know uh anyway so I, I i hope they they are careful with that kind of stuff though because like especially like the wolfman i love the wolfman yeah um and if they make that if, if, if they over modernize that i feel like it's gonna lose its lose its flavor yeah like if it's an app like a wolfman app is right it's like oh it's the full moon, so I gotta be a wolfman now. Yeah. <laughs> Let me pull up my app. <laughs> um, but no, I mean the whole the, the whole appeal of the wolfman is like, oh, he gets bitten by a wolf, and you know it's like a it's like an ancient curse mm-hmm. or ancient might be an extreme word, but um, and, you know the whole you know you can't just have like Romani as as they're referred to now. They're they're gypsies back then, but. Rumani, like, it's hard to incorporate that now and be, you know, sensitive to yeah. to to uh, that race. No, race isn't the right word. Group? Culture? Culture. Culture. Um, but I don't know. That that was kind of all part of the Wolfman. And, you know, even in the, the remake uh, with Benicio Del Toro, that was part of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but again, that I guess took, you just have like a generic palm reader or something. Something, yeah. Um, but even that took place in like, uh, I think around the turn of the century, like late 1800s, early 1900s. So actually, even earlier on than the original Wolfman, that, you know, from the 40s. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I just, I just hope that Blumhouse, you know, handles with care. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that's it for horror business. Yes, it is. Um, and so from here, we will move on to our film reviews. You should. Oh, we will unwrap our movie reviews. Because uh, it's week mummy. of the mummy. All right, guys. So, like we said, uh, this week we let our gravediggers pick the theme, or one lucky gravedigger. Mm-hmm. Again, that's uh, Kevin Trent. Yeah, we got, we just opened up for submissions, got a, a bunch of different uh, suggestions, and this is the one we chose because we were surprised that we hadn't done it yet. Yeah. Uh, have we done any mummy movies whatsoever? I don't think so. It's weird. It's weird, man. It's weird, wild stuff. 
Anyway, so yeah, this is Week of the Mummy. Um, we're going to be talking about... Like, under Wraps <laughs> and Mummy Dearest. <laughs> we're going to be talking about Under Wraps and the Under Wraps remake. <laughs> so kick off your shoes and enjoy. Now, um, we are going to be talking uh, about um, Bubba Hotep and the Pyramid. Uh, Taylor, which one do you want to start with? Let's start with Bubba Hotep. Home. You were an Elvis impersonator. You fell off a stage and broke your hip? Who was it? 20 years ago. That's where they took a piece of my brain. I got a little bag of sand up there now. Jack, President Kennedy was a white man. They dyed me this color. What we have yet, Shady Rest, is an Egyptian soul sucker of some sort. Some kind of Bubba Hotep. You know, a mummy hiding out, feeding on the sleeping. He can just keep on feeling unless he's finally destroyed. All right, man, let's go. Stop on you, baby. All right, so Bubba Hotep is a 2002 uh, comedy horror written and directed by Don Coscarelli, based on a novella by Joe R. Lansdale. Um, the term Bubba Hotep is basically a like Hotep is an Egyptian. I don't think it's an actual an actual Egyptian word. But it's like a family or something. Um, it's Egyptian. Yeah, it's <laughs> Egyptian in nature. Uh, and then Bubba is, you know, a, a good old boy from the south. Right. And this is a term that is uh, given to this mummy because he uh, wears cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. Cowboy hat. <laughs> Not sure why he just does. He just does. Yeah, we never really get uh, any clarification on that. But. This movie is centered around Sebastian Half, also known as Elvis Presley. The real Elvis Presley. Played by none other than Bruce Campbell. Like, would you, like, before this movie came out, would you, like, if they, if they were talking about, okay, we're going to make this movie, it's going to have Elvis Presley fighting a mummy. And we're looking at Bruce Campbell. Would you, what would your reaction be? I mean, aside from being a Bruce fan. Um, like, not as a Bruce fan? No. I mean, uh, so 
yeah, a Bruce as a Bruce fan, a Bruce Campbell movie is a good thing. Looking beyond that. Like he he wouldn't be my first choice. Okay. Yeah. I just like I, I never would have pictured him playing Elvis. Yeah. I think he did it well, but I wouldn't have Anyway. Yeah. Uh basically Elvis got tired of the fame and the uh you know adul- adulation. So he found the top Elvis Presley impersonator, a guy named Sebastian Half, and switched lives with him. And so it was Sebastian Half that actually, you know, died on the toilet. He didn't actually die on the toilet. <laughs> so, and and so this is the real Elvis Presley, who is now in his golden years. He is in a home. He has a growth on his pecker. And uh, but of course, none of the people there believe that he's actually Elvis Presley. They think that he's Sebastian Half, and that he has you know uh, mental issues. Yeah. Uh, you find out that, you know, once he changed places with with the real Sebastian Half, that he had documentation that would he should he ever decide to change places again and go back to his original life, that he had some documentation to prove who he actually was. Yeah, they, they uh, drafted up a contract. They had it all in writing. Mm-hmm. But that all literally went up in flames. <laughs> Barbecue accident <laughs> in a trailer park where his entire trailer just exploded. But yeah, he said he wasn't bothered by it, but you know, considering what his life is like now, yeah. But sorry, I don't mean to take over. I'm saying like, if he would have stayed Elvis, he probably he'd probably be dead because he did say that. Aside from all the, you know, the just the the limelight that he was in as Elvis, he was also he was also on, you know, a constant round of drugs mm-hmm. and and you know just taking pills and you know tom parker was basically you know a, a slave driver you know making him dance like a you know a performing monkey um so he probably still would have been dead if he would have stayed elvis yeah probably but he did not now he's old and he's in this home uh his roommate bull uh, passes away and it took me forever to figure out why I recognize that guy. Why did you? Uh, he was the dad of the girl who got kidnapped in House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh. I didn't put that together. Um, but Bull is taken, aw- taken away uh, by none other than Daniel Roebuck, who is the hearse driver, mortician person? That's such a like. He's not an A lister, but like, what's he doing in this role? Yeah, it's such a minor role in such a, like a B movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this you know, people go to pay their respects to Bull, and somebody brings in this tin of chocolates, and uh, this old lady just decides they're hers, <laughs> takes them. When she opens it, she unleashes this giant scarab. And, you know, anybody who knows anything about mummies or Egyptian cultures know that scarabs and mummies go hand in hand. Sure. You've seen the mummy. You've seen movies. Yeah. Uh, so the scarab, you know, turns into a mummy and he starts killing people in this the turn old into age a home. Mummy? He turned into Bubba Hotep. How did I miss that? I don't know. Oh, right. Because I had a screaming child next to me. That's ah, why. Yes. Um, 
Actually, maybe maybe it doesn't turn into him because because Elvis kills it with the fork. Yeah, and then jabs it into the heater and electrocutes himself to kill the the scarab. Right. But in some way, the scarab unleashes the mummy or something, or whatever, or whatever. This this movie is uh, don't don't look too deep into anything <laughs> that happens in this. Uh so he's you know he kills the bug but he doesn't really think anything past that so he tells the guy the whoever caretaker or whatever he's like you know you you guys got a really bad bug problem <laughs> um and so he turns to the only person in this home that he's actually I don't want to say friends but the only person he gets along with is a guy named Jack also known as John Fitzgerald Kennedy <laughs> heard of him uh, he survived that day in Dallas, although they removed part of his brain and replaced it with a bag of sand, and then proceeded to dye him black and put him in this home. Yeah, because Lyndon Johnson, his vice president, had him assassinated. Yes. Which is a fairly common conspiracy theory. I do like that uh, he finds Jack on the ground and like wakes him up, and they hear something in the hall. And Jack's like, I heard someone coming. I heard the scurrying sound. I think it's Lyndon Johnson. <laughs> Elvis is like, man, Lyndon Johnson's dead. He goes, Psh, like that would stop him. <laughs> <laughs> so JFK is now an elderly black man <laughs> who like Sebastian or Elvis. He, you know, looks the part. He acts the part. He's got the voice. This guy does not do the JFK voice in any way. <laughs> He's got a mustache. He doesn't look anything like JFK. Yeah. It's Ozzie Davis, who he's, he's just one of those guys. If, if you saw him, you'd, you'd know him. Yeah. I can't think of any immediately off the top of my head, anything he's been in. But yeah, he, he's he's one of those guys you, you just, you recognize. Yeah. I just love that. Like Elvis, like, Elvis is, you know, he has to wear corrective lenses, but it's like the big Elvis style aviator. Yeah. Those are his everyday glasses. Yeah, if you're putting together an Elvis costume and you go to like Spirit or something, it's the glasses that come with the costume. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, and so him and Jack are now, they make it their mission to take out this Bubba Hotep. Um, but uh, Elvis isn't sure if he believes that Jack actually is JFK. Right. But he sees a scar on the back of his neck and he's like, eh, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> he also uh, is connected to the piece of his brain that's in DC. So he talks about every once in a while, he still gets visions and memories from his, from his original brain. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he's just like, you know, what if one day somebody takes the battery out? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that will make him just, die right um yeah this mummy was on a museum tour and someone hijacked the train and stole the body uh in in texas this is in mud creek texas yeah somewhere in east texas i don't i don't know if you mentioned that i did not east texas was is just like nothing yeah it's just so I guess that's apparently where you got the cowboy outfit was just somewhere in Texas. That's where they that's where they come from. Yep. Cow, cowboy outfits. They, they get them in Texas. They make them in Texas. Because the stars at night <laughs> are big and bright. 
deep in the heart of Texas. Uh, yeah, so now the mummy is loose. This mummy is a soul sucker. Uh, we learned like my ex wife. <laughs> hey. I don't have an ex wife. Uh, Taylor, does. I do. Um, <laughs> But yeah, Jack has all these books on mummies, of course. <laughs> Naturally. And so he, As you do. He explains that this mummy is a soul sucker who um, he feeds on elderly people because they their souls are weak because they don't have much time to live, so they're easier to steal. But they don't give him as much life force, so he has to do it more often. Juice. And he sucks their souls out through their buttholes. Is it exclusively their buttholes or just whatever whatever hole he has access to? It seems to be exclusively the butthole. Although he does, I guess he does try to suck out Jack's out of his mouth. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so the mummy, they, they have a friend named Kimasabi who dresses like the Lone Ranger. Right. And seems to think he is in an episode of the Lone Ranger at all times. He's right. got these two little like cap guns. And he's always talking about getting ambushed. And he tries to take on the mummy. But before he can kill the mummy, he's shooting the mummy with his little cap guns, which obviously does nothing because they're cap guns. Yeah, anything. Um, but the mummy goes to kill him, but he has a heart attack before the mummy can kill him. So his soul stays in his butthole. <laughs> <laughs> but so, you know, now it's personal. They've, they've, the mummy has killed their friend, Kimosabi. Which means friend. Yeah, it's from the, from the Lone Ranger. Yeah, that's why he that's why he did the gimmick. Yeah, it's like a, a white man playing a Native American and call him that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, let's see what else happens. So, Jack and Elvis put together this plan. They've got a <clears throat> like a, a gardening uh, poison sprayer thing, weed weed killer. Thing, yeah. you know, yeah, you've seen them. Uh, that they fill up with like rubbing alcohol and gasoline, this flammable shit. Yeah. yeah, and so they're they're gonna torch this Bubba Hotep. Uh, the the middle of this movie is kind of a boring, a little bit. Not a lot happens. It's a lot of kind of explaining the mummy, and then just kind of like. Planning. Coming up with this plan, yeah. but they go out in the middle of the night to try and fight uh, this mummy. Um, on their way out, Elvis is like, "Hey Jack, I just got one question for you, Marilyn. What's she like in the sack?" <laughs> He's like, "That is classified information, but between you and me, wow!" <laughs> but so they go out. And they find the mummy, but Jack falls asleep in his wheelchair. <laughs> uh, but Elvis saves him before the, the mummy can get to him. Sprays him down, lights him on fire, but the mummy's able to put himself out. Uh, and then they lose him. And so Elvis, or Jack, rather, is trying to find the mummy. He's rolling around in his little motorized wheelchair, which he walks for most of the movie. And then at the end, he's just like, yeah, I got a wheelchair now. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what that's about. I don't know if he needs it. Yeah, it's not even like, I mean, like uh, Elvis, you know, he... He uses a walker. He, yeah, he's got a busted hip, so he uses a walker, and he gets around pretty slowly. But at no point did I see Jack ever having an issue with walking until at the end where he's in a wheelchair for some reason. Yeah. 
Um, but the mummy knocks Jack out of the wheelchair. Like we were saying before, tries to suck his soul out through his mouth instead of his butthole. But Elvis commandeers the wheelchair and he just like comes flying in, takes the mummy down to the, the crick and like lights him on fire, dumps him in the crick and that seems to do the job. Yeah. And, uh, and then Elvis just dies right there. He's got, he, I guess in the fall or something, he's got, it looks like one of his ribs yeah, he broke punctured. Rib. Yeah. yeah. He's got a compound fracture. Um, and Jack dies from a heart attack during the fight. Right. But Elvis is laying there dying, you know, and he's like, but at least, at least I got to keep my soul. Yeah. You know, anybody else in the home, anybody who else might, that might come to the home are now safe. Yes. Oh, and he sees the stars kind of align to say all is well in hieroglyphics. Right. Which he can read for some reason. Also, every time Bubba Hotep speaks, it comes out in hieroglyphics and yeah. then translates. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not just like, it's not just like subtitles either, like flat on the screen. Like, they're actually like three, three dimensional. Yeah, and they like fly out of his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, his last words are, Thank you. Thank you very much. Yep. Because, you know, he's Elvis. Because he's Elvis. That's, that's the gimmick. This is thing. <laughs> yep. This is a silly, silly movie. It's so silly. But it's so fun. Yeah, it, it, it's a fun movie. Um, it's like, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of a sleeper because not a lot of people outside of like Bruce fans really know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't get a lot of attention. I mean, it barely made it bu- its budget budget back in the box office. Um, but yep. Uh, there at, at one point, Coscarelli joked about making a sequel called Bubba Nosferatu, and we held on and, to that for so long. <laughs> and people went, "No, you should do that." And he was like, "Okay, yeah." Uh, apparently, Paul Giamatti was going to be Colonel Tom Parker. <laughs> That that would work. Does it matter with these movies? <laughs> yeah, I guess not. <laughs> Be like, yeah, I'm gonna cast Shaquille O'Neal as Colonel Tom Parker, and you're like, yeah, okay, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was gonna feature Elvis in his younger years, which makes me think that Bruce Campbell wouldn't have played him. Although we do see Bruce as a young Elvis in this, but when we get flashbacks to him switching places with Sebastian. Yeah, young Elvis in like the early seventies. Yeah, not young Elvis in like the fifties and sixties. Yeah, that's you true. Know, the, the Elvis, the pelvis years, if you will, if you will. Um. Yeah, I feel like Coscarelli was heavily influenced by um, the Evil Dead. How so? Just like there's a lot of you know kind of zany. Uh, camera angles and stuff, and um, because it doesn't really do like the the montage so much, but just the, you know with them like preparing and stuff, it kind of feels a little Sam Raimi. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. I guess, and just you know Bruce being Bruce. Sure, I guess more Evil Dead too because you got that comedy, right? Um, <laughs> shit, what was I gonna say? Oh, lost my train of thought. Fudge. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it'll come to me later. 
Um, oh, it's so they they explain at, at one point. Um, I don't know exactly what happens, but for some reason Elvis has like this telepathic exchange with the mummy, um, which isn't really explained. Like, not really sure why that happens. Um, but it kind of gives like a back history of who this mummy is, who, like who he was in oh, life. Right, yeah, yeah. And I think also part yeah, like of when he first sees the mummy the first time, you know, the mummy's like shuffling through the hall and he like looks over into their room and he makes eye contact with Elvis. And yeah, then all of a sudden he Elvis like gets his memories. Yeah. No no explanation why that happens no. to him. Um I honestly I can't remember exactly. Because they made some inference about who he was in life based on those visions, and I can't remember what that was now. Uh, yeah, don't, yeah, I don't remember either. All I remember is the bus going off the bridge. Right. Yeah, and we do see some flashes of what happened to him. Oh, Christ. And like how he came to be at this nursing home. Right, but that's after he was already... A mummy right um but no yeah i mean like it, it it's a goofy movie and definitely should not take it too seriously i wouldn't take it seriously at all <laughs> i mean as far as like a as far as a like a film yeah it's like it's just it's just goofy and you shouldn't be looking for it like any um artistic nuances i think and, and you know maybe coscarelli was trying to do something like that but it just didn't happen <laughs> yeah um and we never fully get confirmation on if you know either elvis or jack are actually who they say they are or if they're just crazy old men yeah yeah because i mean even though we get this backstory for elvis jack like you have to assume it's probably not actually JFK. Yeah. But we don't know. <laughs> With Elvis... It's like, if if Elvis is actually Elvis, then why couldn't Jack actually be JFK? Yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, we get this backstory with Elvis explaining, you know, why people think he's the Sebastian half. But we don't really ever get, like, any, like, real firm evidence that he really is... Elvis and yeah. you know it kind of leaves the door open to think that maybe he is just a crazy old man. Yeah. Um who just has, you know, delusions of grandeur. But anyway, he talks about uh he wants to name his name the the growth on his pecker Priscilla and then pop it by jerking off, but he can't get a boner. <laughs> <laughs> and then he like there's this nurse that's always putting Vaseline on his pecker on the, on his growth talking about how it's supposed to like make the pus stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She comes in and she's like, like rubbing on it, rubbing it on his dick. And like, he's like starting to feel like reinvigorated because of, you know, him and Jack trying to, you know, track down this mummy and, and, and kill it. So he's like starting to get a little more pep in his step, so to speak. And while, He's thinking about that. The combination of him being excited by that and then this nurse like rubbing his dick, he actually gets like his first heart on in a decade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, er even earlier, Bull's daughter comes to, you know, pick up his things 
and she like bends over in a skirt and her entire ass is hanging out and he's just like yep can't do anything about that yeah he's like you know you know 40 years ago she would have been all over me yeah but now she just yeah like she just sees me as this innocent yeah he was like her flashing her panties was not intentional or unintentional she just didn't give a shit yeah she didn't see me as this i can't remember what his exact wording was but basically she didn't see him as any kind of sexual being yeah it's the same as a house cat looking at her yeah um he's got some uh, some clever little colloquialisms yeah it's definitely definitely got that bruce flair added to the character i wonder how much of it was ad-libbed um oh yeah reggie bannister was in this too he was like the uh his credit is rest home administrator, so he's like the boss at the rest home. Yeah. Makes sense since this was a Coscarelli film. Don Coscarelli, if you're not familiar with him, he directed um Phantasm. Phantasm films. Yeah. Anyway. Um Yeah, so Coscarelli uh, had some difficulty trying to integrate Elvis's voice. I assume he doesn't mean like his literal voice, but just like, you know, trying to make it feel like it's Elvis talking because he's our narrator too. Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, like, like as far as like making it feel like he's actually Elvis. Or... I guess. Yeah. Um, I think that like, you know, we're talking about not really having any like solid confirmation that, that it is Elvis. I think that kind of lends to it. Yeah. Although, if you read this page about the, the novella, you know, Lansdale actually wrote him as Elvis. He actually is Elvis, for sure. We know it's Elvis. Oh, really? Um, and this, I mean, maybe that's what it's supposed to be. Maybe this is supposed to be Elvis, for sure. Like, I mean, like, it's played out on film. But, you know, there's just that little bit that, those little nuances that we might pick up on that would lend doubt whether or not that was intentional. Yeah, I kept kind of waiting for like some kind of hard confirmation. Yeah. Like somebody, you know, recognizing him or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I do like he wears this pouch around his neck when they're going to fight Bubba Hotep and that he puts like good luck charms in. He's got like um, Kimosabi's mask in there and he's got a picture of Lisa Marie Presley and he like shows Jack and goes, that's my daughter. He's like, I know. Yeah. We <laughs> all know. Yeah. And, you know, like, I see that Elvis, like, he, he cares. He's not just some shut-off asshole. Because, like, when Bull dies, his daughter comes in. And she's just ready to throw everything she away. She just throws everything away, including his purple heart. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he says, excuse me, you mind if I mind if I have that purple heart? Bull is mighty proud of it. And uh, she's like, yep, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And that, uh, and that ten of chocolates. <laughs> He's like, no, no, from the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> what episode was that? I don't know. Fuck. No, that, that, that was one episode of Simpsons or another. <laughs> anyway, uh, anything else to add? Um, I mean, like I said, just a real goofy movie, but it's it's really fun. Um, it's 
like you said, it's not something you can really, you know, take seriously. There's, you know, if there's not a lot of action, like the the fight scenes, are, it's kind of mundane. It's too geriatric dudes fighting a mummy. Like, yeah, you're not it's gonna, not gonna s- be like, you know, ninja kicks and yeah, all kinds you're of. You're not gonna see like badass Ash Campbell blowing people away with a shotgun. It's fucking Ash Campbell, huh? Ash Campbell. Oh wait, yes, sorry, <laughs> Ash Williams. Ash Williams. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're not gonna see Ash Williams, you know, blowing people away with a shotgun. Right, it's fucking eighty something year old Elvis Presley with, yeah, a, with a bad hip. hip and a walker. <laughs> so, um, but no, I mean it's 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 a, it's a good it's a good movie. I don't think I don't know that it's gonna have a, like a wide appeal, and I think probably its notoriety kind of lends to that, like, kind of reinforces that that not a lot of people know about it. Um, but, uh, no, I, th- I think it's, it's definitely one you should check out. Um, I, I had to pay for it. Did you? No, I watched it. Oh, no, I didn't pay for it because I had an old burn copy from yeah. you. <laughs> uh, I watched it on Pluto, so it had commercials, okay. but it was free. Okay. Well, do that then. It's, it's worth a watch. I think it's only like two ninety nine if you don't want to deal with commercials. This isn't. It's on like everything, Amazon, Google, all the stuff. I know a lot. Actually, of, I don't think it is on Google. Oh, uh, yeah, I know a lot of horror fans and a lot of like like hardcore Bruce fans have this on their shelf. I don't think it's worth it, honestly. That's this is a movie that you maybe watch once every few years. Yeah, I, I honestly, I think probably the first time I saw this was the last time I saw this. <laughs> I think, I think me too. Yeah, I think this was only the second time I'd seen it. But, but no, I'd say it's definitely worth a watch. It's it's fun. It's goofy. But yeah, it's not like a regular watch. Yeah. Um. I get a a six. I'd give it a seven, but it's kind of slow. I'll go seven. It is. Yeah. Like the the middle part is a lot of just kind of setting up stuff yeah. and explaining stuff, and it's like well, I don't need to know this much about it. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's fun, especially if you are a Bruce Campbell fan. It's not gory, it's not scary. It's it's more comedy than it is horror. Yeah. But uh yeah, it, it's fun. It's silly. And from what I can tell, it I haven't read the novella, but from what I read about the novella, it seems like it's a pretty faithful adaptation. So So if you're big fans of the novella. <clears throat> right. All right. So next up we have the 2014 film. By Gregory Levasseur, titled The Pyramid. It has been called The Curse of the Pharaohs. Vengeance against adventurers who disturbed the sacred tombs of the pyramids. 1699, a Polish ship carrying two mummies is haunted by spectral visions and brutal storms. 1803, four expedition members enter Khafra's pyramid, never to emerge. 1922, Tutankhamun's tomb is opened, and a series of horrifying deaths befall the excavation team. For the next 91 years, no other tombs are disturbed. Tell them not to open it up yet. Tell them to hold off. Until now. Ah! 
So what happened to them? Toxic air. Usually found in caves, tombs, structures that have been sealed off. As you can see, the pyramid behind me has only three sides. Not four like the Giza pyramids. Look at the size of that thing. Hey, hey, he's oh, saying we can't go in there. This is the find of the century. You're crazy if you think I'm not going in there. Stay close and don't touch anything. Look at this. What is that? These carvings tell a story. This is a warning. A warning for what? What is happening? We have to back out of here one at a time. Oh my god. Devin. It's a labyrinth built with the purpose of keeping whatever is inside from escaping. Did you guys hear that? So I want to preface this saying that a movie called The Pyramid that takes place in Egypt and has a mummy on the poster yeah, <laughs> would make you think it has a mummy in it. Yeah, I was watching this and I was like, so where's the mummy? <laughs> I was about three... Yeah, the- the sorry, um, the the poster is is the biggest misnomer because there's there's definitely a mummy on the poster. Yeah, this creature that is on the poster, spoiler alert, nowhere Not in the movie. nowhere in the movie. Um, yeah, so I fucked up, and I mean I was led astray honestly because you know I look up mummy movies and this was on there, but there are no mummies, so sorry. I thought about picking another one, but we already had to watch so many movies. For this recording session, that I'm just like, you know, I'm just gonna roll with it. <laughs> but no, I was definitely halfway, three quarters of the way through. Like, there aren't gonna be any mummies in this. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right. So, <clears throat> like I said, this is a 2014 movie uh, directed by Gregory Levasseur. His, his directorial debut, but you would know him as a writer from. Uh, he did. Um, uh, High Tension. Uh, he did the Elijah Wood Maniac. Um, he, he also wrote Piranha 3D, which seems out of character for the rest of his. <laughs> but he he works he works frequently with Alexandra Aja, so a lot of projects that he directed. Were, he he wrote the 2006 Hills Have Eyes remake. So a lot of projects that Aja. As directed, he has also, uh, Levasseur has written. But this was his directorial debut, and as far as I can tell, his only uh, directorial. Also his directorial finale. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, this is 2014, um, starring only a couple people that I recognize. I mean, Dennis O'Hare, who you probably know best from American Horror Story. Um, and then 
Also, James Buckley, who's a guy who I know from a British show called The Inbetweeners. Um, but everyone else in this, uh, I, I I don't know them. Uh, Ashley Hinshaw is Mrs. Topher Grace. Is she? She is. Oh. Well, good for her, I guess. <laughs> She's Mrs. Eric Foreman. Yep. Uh, okay, so this movie takes place uh, in Egypt in you know present day because people have cell phones so that's how we know um and uh we open up on there there's this kind of like civil unrest going on in in giza um which i I think there pretty much always is which makes egypt such a dangerous place to go (laughs) um and uh we go to um this so the premise is it's it's mostly found footage, but not to a distracting amount, and it's not consistently found footage, which is weird. Yeah, they did that really annoying thing where it's like it's found footage, but then sometimes they'll just put in clips that are not cinematic, but they're like angles where they couldn't be found footage, and they just kind of hope you don't notice. Yeah, but it's not like it's not it's not distracting. Well, no, it's not distracting, but. I was going to say, as far as like found footage, it's not handheld camcorder. It's um, a, a documentary team. Right. So it's, you know, it's HD. It's still, you know, it's well filmed. It's not bouncing around or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the premise is there's this documentary team um, led by uh, reporter Sunny Marsh and her cameraman uh, Fitzy. Um they are they're visiting a um, archaeological dig uh, led by Dr. Miles and Dr. Nora Holden as a father and daughter team of archaeologists archaeologists who have uncovered a 600 foot um, sorry no it's a, it's a pyramid that is buried 600 feet below ground which you know uh, as far as like, the the rate of um i can't think of like terminology but the rate that it would have been buried puts it like you know way ahead in time as some of like the oldest pyramids right um and the exceptionally strange thing about this is it's a three-sided pyramid rather than a four-sided one like the ones you'd find in giza so technically it's not a pyramid it's a tetrahedron Okay. Okay, Dick. Math. <laughs> math jockey. Um, what do you think? Math jockey is one boob greater than the other? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So we're introduced to, uh, like I said, uh, doctors Holden. <laughs> um, they're, they're like, they kind of clash because she's very, uh, you know, technological. She's deals with, lasers and science and shit yeah she and he's just like but i have this little brush that i can brush things with yeah yeah he's definitely i mean yeah they're definitely a very good scope of like old school new school as far as science goes he's one that likes to get down in the dirt and actually physically dig and yeah like you know brush dirt away from things all day long whereas she relies heavily on a satellite um satellite imagery to that can detect things 
underground. And that's how they located this pyramid. That's how they've been able to detect how big it is, how far underground it is, and the best access point. So all this stuff that has led them to their discovery can be traced back to all this technology. Yeah. But he's still got a hair up his ass about it. And Plus, she's banging the robot guy. She is banging the robot guy, uh, Zaheer. Not, he's, he's not a robot. <laughs> he, is, he is not himself a robot. She's not banging. That we know of. She's not banging a robot. <laughs> there is a robot that strongly resembles Johnny Five. It's a, it's a rover on loan from NASA um, that they are using to, bre- uh, not breach, but to explore the caverns in this pyramid without actually having to physically go in because something that, you know, in a lot of mummy movies, you know, where they're exploring these ancient sites, something they don't explain is that these pyramids were built to be airtight and that there's this stagnant rotted air that has just been in there for centuries and it's probably not very good for you to breathe. Yeah. In fact, as soon as they initially breach it, somebody gets like a blast of it in the face and they like their skin immediately starts to just deteriorate and turn green and gross. Yeah. And they say that I saw that and I was like, is this going to be a zombie movie? <laughs> yeah. The guy, op- I mean, I feel like every mummy movie starts out this like some poor local opens up a mummy tomb and gets blasted like by, by the instruction of a bunch of white people <laughs> opens up a mummy tomb and gets blasted in the face with some kind of you know weapon yeah. <laughs> some ancient weapon um yeah in this case it was apparently like a i don't know if it was actually weaponized or if it was just pressure from the inside or what but they open up this cavern and yeah get blasted in the face by this green haze which is apparently aspergillus which is a uh, mold spore that just floats in the air, especially here in like you know, Pacific Northwest, where there's just our, our air is very um, uh, humid. Like we have a lot of moisture in the air, um, and it's just naturally occurring. And unless it's in high concentration, it doesn't affect people. But like, like my brother, he had cystic fibrosis which and he was he was very allergic to aspergillus so that's part of the reason why he had to move out of state because the air up here was literally killing him hmm. <clears throat> anyway i but, wonder if I, I i won't say his name to protect his privacy but i had a friend who got really bad migraines living up here and he he moved out of state too and they, he said he hasn't had a any problem since i wonder if it's related could be maybe he is yeah a latent allergy that he's not aware of or something. Yeah. Um, it could also be like, like elevation maybe. True. Yeah. The simplest things can change that kind of stuff. Anyway. So, um, so they've been working on this dig for however long, too long, apparently because the, the universe, the whole day through. Yep. And uh, the universe that, that, that is financing this whole thing uh, is pulling the plug. They're like, you guys have just taken too damn long um, and you haven't found Dick. Um, so we're pulling the plug. You need to pack up and get the fuck out of there. The authorities are coming to escort you out. So, you know, get everything packed up and get, be ready to go by morning. So they start packing up. Um, 
Miles is basically he, he's like you know I have a career to worry about I can't be or, or I should say Nora says we can't just leave you know we have all this work vested into it we finally have an entry point that we can access and he's like I I have a career to worry about I can't just throw that away because you know you want to uh, explore. And you want to use your fancy machines to go explore this uh, pyramid. We need to pack up and get out of here. She eventually talks him into it. Um, and like I said, her boyfriend, he's he's the rover operator. Um, they're trying to, they're getting ready to go into the pyramid, but a an Egyptian military officer arrives and says, Hey, I'm supposed to, you know, in Egyptian, I don't know exactly what he's saying, but translated from Zahir, he's saying he's here to escort us out and you know make sure we leave. And Miles says, "Okay, well, tell him that we're we're almost ready, and once we're once we're all packed up, we'll leave." He gives them twenty four hours, right? So the guy leaves, and what do they do? They launch the rover into the pyramid. Tetrahedron. Shut up. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> everything seems to be going fine. He's going down the uh, the uh, you know the, the entry corridor, looking at all the the passages and you know <clears throat> taking you know he's taking imagery of all the hieroglyphs. Um, and you know Miles is doing his best to interpret these things, and he's basically saying that these are a lot of you know warnings. Um, and you know basically saying. You know, this place is not to be entered, you know, yada, yada, yada. <clears throat> Basically, the same kind of shit you see in every mummy movie. Right. It's like, don't come into this pyramid. It's like... Abandon all hope, you who enter here. Yeah. It's like, people just walk into pyramids. You know, it's like, hey, this has been buried for thousands of years. Let's see what's inside. Right. It's like, you don't just do that. Like, you don't walk into a cemetery. It's like, hey, let's dig these people up. See what it looks like inside. <laughs> um, it's like, yeah, maybe they've been dead for millennia, but that's that's rude. <laughs> um, anyway, so he goes further and further into the pyramid with with the rover, um, and something just skitters past the past the camera. We don't get a good look at it, um, and uh, they think it's just these wild dogs that have been around the dig site uh, have somehow gotten into the pyramid and, you know, just whatever. So they continue on. And suddenly out of nowhere, the rover, you know, from the image of the the screen they're watching, the rover is mangled. Like the... Attacked. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the camera image just suddenly gets all jostled and then just cuts out. And so Zahir is losing his mind because he's supposed to be the operator. He's responsible for this thing. It's like a $2 million machine that's on loan from NASA. And, uh, you know, now he has no uh, accounting for it. So they decide that they're going to go into the pyramid against all their better judgment. And they start following the same corridor. uh, And by they, I mean, this is... Both of the Holdens, uh, Zahir, uh, Sonny, and Fitzy, because you know they've been recording this entire time. 
uh, and they've got a documentary to film. This is some juicy shit. Like uh, Fitzy even is just like, nope, not doing that. And Sonny's like, yeah, you are. <laughs> like this, she basically kind of gives him like this is this is what we're here for. Speech. Um, so they go into the pyramid and almost immediately get lost. Yeah, if, uh, Miles like ties a wire to his belt or something, so they can trace it back to the entryway. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it gets snapped like right away. And Zaheer's like, uh, um, Miles is like, you know, somebody must have stepped on it and snapped it. And Zaheer's like, that's high tensile wire. It doesn't just snap. Right. Um, but yeah, so they had crawled up to this, this, um, to this passage in the ceiling that leads up in the apex of the, of the pyramid. Um, and in there, they find this stash, which is not out of the ordinary. Most pharaohs that are buried were buried with an arsenal to help them pass in, you know, into the afterlife. Um, but Miles discovers that these weapons have been used. Because they're usually they're like pristine weapons, never been used. Um, I think a lot of times they're like, you know, adorned in gold and, and that kind of stuff. But these are actually weapons that have been used. Um, and also one of them like was snapped, like the staff on it was snapped in half, which they find very weird. And they run luminol on it and find traces of, of blood. So they, they take it to test it later. Anyway. So yeah, once they crawl down out of the apex back into this chamber that they were in, they're like, okay, let's go that way. Somebody else is like, no, no, no. It was that way. Right. And there's basically four identical passages. And none of them have any real clue which way is back to the entrance. So uh, they just pick one and uh, start walking down, and it leads into this chamber um, that has a. I think it is this the one that where it has like a door that looks like it's sealed off, and they're like, "Well, this looks like it's a way out. We should open it." I think that's after they fall through the floor. Is it okay? Oh, okay, so the, yeah, they're in this chamber, which, you know, they're looking around, and Miles is looking at these hieroglyphs on the wall, and, um, you know, it start, it's talking about, like, like end-of-time shit, you know, like, basically this Egyptian version of Armageddon, um, and, uh, you know, kind of like, um, um, like a rapture-type thing. Uh, while he's investigating the the floor of this chamber starts to crack and crumble. Uh, and so there's like, Oh shit. So they try to slowly back out, out of this chamber, but the floor just collapses under them. They fall into the one, the next chamber below them. And this is where they find this big door that looks like it's sealed off. And, you know, a lot of them are trying to argue that this is, you know, if this is a door, then we need to go through it to find out if this could be a way out. And Miles is like, you know, there's warnings written all over this. If it's sealed, it's probably sealed for a reason. Um, while they're sitting there arguing, um, a rock falls and crushes Zaheer's leg. He's trapped underneath it. Um, and... They, so that they, you know, they have no choice but to leave him there. 
So they go off and they're trying to find an exit. Um, and I don't want to, cause a lot of this is a little repetitive because it's, you know, they're just, they kind of go into like these chambers and it turns into like this labyrinthian th- type thing, um, where they are, you know, walking down a corridor and somehow wind up right back in this chamber that they started in. And so they're, and eventually Miles just comes to the conclusion that this place was, was built to, to be trapped in. Like nothing was, this was built so nothing could get out. Um, and so they're, they're very, very well may not be a way for us to get out. Off in the distance, they hear Zaheer screaming, um, and they run to find, you know, run back to the chamber they left him in. He is gone, and a, a pool of blood is where he where he was. Um, they follow this trail of blood. Uh, wait, no, they don't follow it. I don't think so. They're just like, we gotta, we gotta go. Yeah, it just says bloody stump is like still under the rock, right? Um, so yeah, they, they just take off and they're trying to everything they can to get out of this place, but everything looks the same. You know, they're running on basically, you know, little, little flashlights, the light on the camera, um, cell phone flashlights. I mean, this kind of stuff, uh, that headlamps, right? Yeah. Yeah. They had a headlamp and I think, um, Nora, she had like this, you know, head mounted camera that had, I think a light on it. Anyway, so very, very little light to speak of, um, uh, ta, 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 ta. let's see. We got on the one hallway and get uh, the the sand starts coming out of the right out of the walls. Yeah, um, and that's when Sunny falls into the spike pit. Well, so before that, yeah, they they they're in this. Okay, so it's actually a, a pretty substantial part of the the plot. They're in this chamber, um, and. Miles is reading the hieroglyphs on the wall, and it's basically depicting um, an end of de- end, end of days scenario, where Anubis, who is the god of the dead, um, is weighing hearts on scales. And if you're not very familiar with Egyptian mythology, basically Anubis is, like I said, he's the god of the dead, and he um, he will weigh a person's heart. On this scale, I've heard different iterations um, of of what he weighs it against. Most often, I've heard it's against a feather. But in this, he uses like some kind of a statue of something. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, I didn't I didn't catch it. Um. So uh, let's see. Yeah, so he, yeah, he so he'll weigh your, weigh your your heart on the scale, and if the scale is perfectly balanced, you're admitted to the afterlife. If not, then you you're not. I think you basically wander like this kind of purgatory for the rest of the time. I mean, as we see later, then he eats your heart and you die. <laughs> right. Um. Anyway, so yeah, we find out that this this creature that's been stirring around in the, in the dark and basically um, taunting them throughout their entire time in this pyramid <clears throat> is actually Anubis. It's a manifestation of Anubis who is the God of Osiris or sorry, is the son of Osiris. Um, Osiris has 
banned him from the afterlife. And so he has been in this, he has been trapped in this pyramid for millennia, like for countless eons, trying to get out by weighing people. And, you know, he, when people have come in, he's taken their hearts and weighed them so that he can then pass into the afterlife um, rather than that person. But he's, he's, he's not been able to find a person pure enough to grant him access. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. Sonny falls into a, a pit with, with a bunch of spikes and, um, before, you know, they, they try to rescue her, but she's basically bleeding to death on these spikes. And, you know, if, if somebody is impaled or, or stabbed or something, you're not supposed to take it out. Right. Because they will bleed out. So there's like, we can't, there's nothing we can do. We have to leave her here. Um, and uh, so they climb out of this chamber and they uh, go into another chamber and let's see. So, okay, so they finally find this burial chamber with this giant, you know, burial tomb, which presumably has a sarcophagus inside. Um, and in there, surprise, surprise, they find the dead mummified, I mean, like, petrified body of some explorer, Some uh, and he's wearing a, a mason's ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Judging by his attire and his journal, it's 19th century, you know, era, and he basically is write, writing that he's you know trying to find a way out. Um, and they find that there's actually this one shaft that would lead back up into this tunnel that they came in from. Um, so they're in this chamber and they say you know they're talking about how okay we need to try and follow this plan we need to you know re you know re-steal our efforts and think about how we're going to get out of here and right as they're doing this a fist just plows through the back of um or through the front of miles's chest heart and hand and this is where we get our first view of of anubis um and uh you know a lot of representations of Anubis. You know, he's a, he's half man, half jackal, um, and a lot of representations of him. He's got you know uh, a very sophisticated face that looks kind of like almost like a like a Doberman or like a, like a greyhound almost, or a point, jackal, or a jackal. Um, he's got, you know pointy ears. You know the typical headdress that you'd see in a lot of you know hieroglyphic depictions, uh, but this thing is just like this fleshy mutant nasty thing yeah um anyway so it it drags miles off into the darkness and uh let's see they go after him and they find out that this prison that this pyramid was constructed to imprison anubis um and uh yes but they're they're being so they they go and try and save miles for some reason 
even though like they saw his heart get pulled out of his chest. But he was still alive. Like Fitzy saw him and like he was, you know, tied up or whatever, but he was still alive. Yeah. I Somehow. Think, like it's like a kind of like a mystical thing mm. where he's not truly dead. Yeah, he sees Anubis weighing his heart. And then when it doesn't pass, he eats it and uh Miles just kind of like melts. deteriorates, <laughs> melts, yeah. Um which is probably the coolest effect in this whole thing. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, uh, so Fitzy and and Nora are the only ones left alive, and they're trying to find their way out. And they they find the shaft that this explorer had mentioned, and they're trying to get out. Um. But Anubis is like right on their tail, and some somehow Fitzy got a gun. I don't. Did you just have a gun? I guess. <laughs> Cause, yeah, because this gun comes out of nowhere, and he starts loading bullets into Anubis, and, you know, it's only doing so much. Um, and he basically tells Nora, go, you know, get out of here. Oh, is it from the soldier? Uh, maybe. Because the soldier makes his way into the pyramid at one point, and he gets killed. Yeah, I, I wasn't super... That that detail wasn't super important, so I just kind of... Yeah, but I, I think that might have been where the gun came from. Okay. <clears throat> um Anyway, so yeah, uh, they're climbing up the shaft, and you know, Fitzy's like, you know, you just go, get out of here, get up that shaft as fast as possible. Um, and Anubis grabs a hold of him and, and pulls him down. And Nora decides that she can't, just can't possibly leave without saving Fitzy. So she goes back down, or she loses grip on the ladder, right? Yeah, and falls down in, back into the chamber. Um. And yeah, they're they're like she sees Fitzy on the ground, but immediately he gets his head crushed by Anubis's foot, and she's chasing after him. Or sorry, she he's chasing after her, and she manages to get back up into the chamber or into the shaft, and she's climbing, climbing, climbing. She's right; he's right on her tail, and she has this flare that she's been carrying around and she launches it at him and that knocks him down the shaft. Um, she climbs back up into this tunnel um, that they had originally come in through uh, and she's laying there, you know, barely holding on to, to life because you can see that this exposure to whatever, you know, presumably aspergillus was, which is just, nonsense whatever toxin was in this pyramid slowly started affecting them all and now we can really see on Nora's face you know her face has become very scaly her eye is clouded over and she's you know gasping to breathe and this boy comes in a young boy this young boy comes in and she's like please help me please help me and he picks up their their camera and he's like oh nice and then uh, Anubis He just jumps out Yeah he pops up and like Behind the kid and, goes, and then the camera goes blank Yeah And that's And he goes raw Yeah and then, bleh. Bleh, bleh, bleh. Bleh. <laughs> Anyway So that's it I tried to make it as interesting as possible But honestly there's not It's hard because this lot. movie sucks <laughs> I don't know. It sucks. No, it does. I think it could have been a lot better. There's a lot of room for improvement. Like maybe putting a mummy in there, 
like they advertised. He also didn't mention that Anubis like kidnapped Nora instead of killing her right away. And he like tied her to this giant obelisk. And then she like cut her way out with the blade that they found. Oh, that's right. God, I forgot about that. Well, I mean, it doesn't matter. Same net result. Is it, is it like a gender thing? He's like, I can't just kill a woman. I got to tie her up. Yeah. Like do the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't know. What's, what's, who's he showing off for? All his little sphinxes. <laughs> is he is he like waiting for Mister Bond to show up and like <laughs> and and ruin his grand scheme? Oh, the other thing is all these hairless sphinxes running around. Yeah, a bunch of nasty little cats. Uh, gross. I thought I thought it was a rat at first. Well, yeah, it's like this. Like it, it's got a tail like a rat, but it's like a cat, rat, bat, scat thing. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, uh, so many things that could have been better. Um, I mean, it's 2014. It wasn't that long ago, and I know so I, this. This was a Fox movie, and this this came in. I know it was. I I believe it was tied up uh, on release, and the whole Disney thing. No, sorry, never mind. I'm wrong. I'm thinking. I'm, I think I'm thinking of something else. Anyway, but yeah, 20th Century Fox had distribution on this, and they were also one of the production companies. So I guess I just would have expected a lot more. Um, like the CGI wasn't that great. Mm-mm. The sets were great though. The set yeah. pieces were awesome. Yeah, that's true. Um. And that was probably my favorite thing of the whole movie. It was, it was the cool, like, um, uh, chambers in, in this pyramid. But, I mean, when you've got this pyramid with no natural light in it, you know, of course it's going to be dark. So yep. it's, it's lit entirely by flashlights, which was kind of a bummer because you couldn't really get, like, the grand scope of what was going on in this place. But, yeah, I mean, this, this, door to this burial chamber uh was was awesome i mean it was adorned in like hieroglyphics and the back side of it. it it was like it was like a like a sliding bookcase type or a pivoting bookcase rotating yeah uh it's like a secret passage um where it kind of spun on an axis um so the front side had like all these hieroglyphics and on the back side it was like like this wall of like skulls mm-hmm. that was pretty cool yeah um, but yeah, I didn't really like how Anubis looked. I mean, I know making him look like it, he's represented in hieroglyphs would have been a little hokey, but I didn't really like the way he was represented in this. Yeah. I think it still came off as hokey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the cast was good, I guess. I mean, they didn't, they weren't bad at actors. Um, they all acted well. I don't know. Just the, the, I feel like the plot itself was a little light. Yeah. The dialogue was kind of clunky. Yeah. I mean, pretty much the whole movie was just like, okay, we're in this pyramid. We got to get out of here. Yeah. We got, we're in this pyramid now. We got to get out of this pyramid. (laughs) And it's like, I know. So I know. Right. So what are you doing? Let's go that that way. Oh, that's a bad way. Let's go back the other way. <laughs> now you go under. 
<laughs> yeah, I feel like, you know, I can make the, I could say like, you know, the dialogue was very light and repetitive, but and I think like maybe somebody would argue like, well, they're in a pyramid and they got to get out of there. What else do you want them to say? It's like, well, maybe you shouldn't have made the movie then. <laughs> it's like, if you're going to, you know, pers- purposely like paint yourself into a corner like that, then just don't. Now, if you're blaming the dialogue on the plot, then something's wrong. Yeah. You fucked up. <laughs> you fucked up. You fucked up. Uh, <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, the dialogue is shitty because I wrote a shitty plot. See, I thought the plot was interesting. And ultimately, you know, it reminded me a lot of As Above, So Below. Yeah, I saw a lot of people making that comparison. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, you're not creative. Fuck me, right? <laughs> you're not original. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, I, the, I, I felt like the plot had potential and just didn't really deliver the way I thought it could have. Like you said, it's very repetitive. It's like they go through one door and then they find themselves back in the same chamber and now they got to go through a different door and it's just like, okay, we get it. It's a labyrinth, but like something else has to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I feel like. Maybe it could have been more interesting if, like, the harder they try to get out of this pyramid, maybe, like, the further down they go or something. And, like, you know, maybe they start working themselves into, like, this, you know. He could have done more of, like, a supernatural bent to it where instead of just, you know, going through this one door and then you wind up back in the same corridor. Like you said, like, you know, maybe you, you know, they start to go up but find themselves down or. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, not to. Because like I, I know critically, as above, so below got fucking blown apart. But I liked it. I thought it was very creative, and I, the aspect of them traveling basically down into hell, I thought that was very creative, um, especially the representation of hell. Um, I would have liked to see something more like that in this, but you know, there's a fine line where you're doing something similar and just being derivative. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a filmmaker, so I can't really make those, those judgment calls, I guess, or, you know, really say that like, Oh, well this and this and this would have made it better. It's like, well, maybe it wouldn't have, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I just, I think this had a lot of potential that was kind of unrealized. It definitely feels like they kind of uh, tried to stretch it out. Like they're like, all right, here's this movie. And people are like, this is 47 minutes long. <laughs> like, oh, let's just add some shit in the middle then. We're like, they get lost again. And it's like, I got a genius idea, guys. Listen, listen. Here's, here's my idea. Have them walk down a corridor and then come back to the original chamber. We'll save thousands on set design. <laughs> Like, all right, now it's 52 minutes. All right, we'll just do that like four more times then. <laughs> and have some very stern talking to. <laughs> and like at one point, Fitzy notices that um, Miles is like, he's got a wound on the back of his head and it's starting to, you know, turn green. and Getting that squeaky. That, yeah, that grossness. And he's just like, hey, Miles, your head. And he's like, hey, whatever. <laughs> he's like, fine, fine, fine. It's like, you either need to expand on that or not have that dialogue because that... <laughs> Served no purpose whatsoever. 
But yeah, uh, I mean, in theory, this this was a good a good story. Um, just wasn't really uh, carried out the way I think it could have been. The, the cast, I think, did well enough with what they were given. But it's, yeah, it just comes down to the plot line that was kind of thin. I mean, aside from that, like everything else looked really great. Like I said, the sets were, uh, the set design was great. I think the CGI could have used some beefing up, but you know, that's just dependent on the company that makes it, I guess. But aside from that, it's uh, not that great. Anything nope. else to add? No. All right. Um, thinking four. I'm thinking three. All right. Yeah. Sorry, this didn't have any mummies in it. I just, I honestly thought I was going to. Yeah. Like even as I was watching it, I was like, "So when's the mummy?" Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like you know, I watched the trailer and what turned out to be Anubis is what I thought was a mummy. Yeah. But you got got. I I got got. That's what what the kids say. I don't think they say that. Probably not. That's probably just you. Probably just you says that. That's a that's an old saying. You're because you're old. And now they say they probably say something like, oh you got hatched. <laughs> you got fetch. Try spank, because they're saying spank now. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for Week of the Mummy, guys. That's going to wrap it up. Ah, uh, two rap jokes. Everybody rap, rap-tastic. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. This is uh, third week three of Octoberama, and, you know, just judging on how many Wednesdays are in uh, October, do, determines how many episodes we have for Octoberama. So this month, or this year, it's just four. So next week, we're going to have our Halloween special uh, and wrap things up for Octoberama. Taylor, what are we going to be watching? We're going to be watching Bad Candy and Black Pumpkin and Halloween Kills. Hey, now it's a special. Hey, it's a triple threat. Uh, It's a threesome. You get to listen to us talk about nothing for like an hour and a half. It's going to be a mini-sode. It's probably going to be almost three hours long. Because <laughs> that's how we do. <laughs> so get excited for that, guys. And uh, we'll we'll celebrate Halloween with you. Probably not. Probably not going to Together. Do Just be like, hey, we're celebrating Halloween and you won't know any better. You can listen to this on Halloween if you want. <laughs> if that makes you feel better. <laughs> Uh, till then, Taylor, where can people find us? They can find us at graveplotpodcast.com as well as wherever you listen to your podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube as Grave Plot Podcast or on Twitter as Grave underscore plot. Patreon.com slash Grave Plot Podcast for exclusive content and graveplotfilmfest.com for all your Grave Plot Film Fest news and updates. Tickets go on sale October 31st. That's what's up. That's it. All right, guys. So until we 
see each other again? No, we don't see anyone. I see you. I see. (laughs) I see your dumb face. All right. Until we're together again through the magic of podcast. (laughs) This is terrible. (laughs) So long, farewell, (laughs) Alvitas, and goodbye. All right, guys. See you next week. Till then. (laughs) You are just fucking up. I'm so tired. (laughs) I went to bed at three and woke up at eight. Fucking exhausted. (laughs) Being a parent is killing me. All right, guys. Until next week, I'm Skeletoni. I'm Taylor of Terror. This has been the Great Plot Podcast, where we're all a little dead inside.